This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. and local programming the way it should be here at WABC every day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. No reason not to. And uh, as I did the um, show with Vinny Madugno earlier today, five to six, and he let me share the microphone, and I was spinning stacks of wax disco music from my era as a baby boomer and uh, many of your eras. He had reminded me, I had forgotten that yesterday, Saturday, before the ball dropped, to welcome in the new year 2023, would have been the 75th birthday of the queen of disco, bar none, Donna Summers. And when I think back to all the classics she had, there's been no person in music that ever dominated dominated it the way she did from 1976 to 1984. Eight straight years. Hit after hit after hit. Dance classic after dance classic. In fact, later on in this hour, we'll play what I believe was the very first electronic dance music song in 77, I Feel Love. 45 years ago. And these hipsters and millennials would have absolutely no idea that electronic dance music was started in the disco era. And in tribute to uh, Donna Summers, who brought so so much of us love and joy as we danced away in a mindless, whirling dervish manner when you didn't have to think about politics, the war in Vietnam, the racial strife. The chaos in the country and the chaos in the world. Because remember, it was still the Cold War. It was just a magnificent time. And in tribute to uh, Donna Summers, who never really gets her props. Uh, if I remember correctly, when I went to Boston and I was organizing Guardian Angels, oh, is uh, in Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, Jamaica Plain. I was in a place called Mission Hill near a project, tough project. And they say, hey, you know... Uh, you know, I was born and raised here. I said, who? Donna Summers. I said, what? Donna Summers? Yeah. 
I said her uh, her father was a butcher. I think her mother was a teacher. I'm not quite sure, but you would never have known. It was like no designation, no plaque, no tributes, just the knowledge of local people. And yet this is a woman who dominated disco music, which was such a part of our lives throughout the 70s and throughout the 80s. Until eventually she passed to the hereafter down in Naples, Florida. And it was from uh, asbestos poisoning, mesothelioma, which is a rare disease. But it is the result of inhaling in those asbestos fibers. And when, when her passing took place, there was very little discussion about that. I think uh, I just assumed, like everyone else, well, she passed away from lung cancer. Maybe uh, she was uh, a smoker of cigarettes, or maybe she was doing pub pub pass. Who knows? But I had no idea it was mesothelioma. See, I almost bit my tongue there and bit my lips there, a little bit of a lisp. But that's that rare disease you get from the inhalation of asbestos. So I did a deep dive ahead of this program because I'm not just winging it. I appreciated the fact that for the very first time I could be a DJ here at WABC. Since, as a talk show host, I conflate the best music with the talk show topics. There's no doubt about that. But obviously I can't compete with a Vinnie Madugno and then... uh, uh, Cousin Brucey, the best of all time, Tony Orlando, uh, Joe Piscopo with his stacks of wax. No, 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 no. But I tell you this much. It did bring me back to the classics of Donna Summers and to doing a d- big, deep dive of research. And I see that she claimed that she probably got this mesothelioma when she was living in the shadow of the World Trade Center in the aftermath of the attack on 9-11, and that makes sense because the air was filled with asbestos from the collapse of the two towers, and it lingered in the air for many, many weeks and months. So many men who plunged into that pit, what was the world's largest crematorium themselves, ended getting mesothelioma and other cancers and other respiratory and thyroid uh, problems. It made sense. I wish there would have been more attention to that because if everybody had known that uh, Donna Summers had perished in that manner, how much more attention would have been paid to that? But remember, when you're dead, you don't get a chance to speak on your behalf. So I don't know who her family or friends were or her business associates, but they kept that on on the down low. Really didn't give it the attention that it should have deserved. You know, Steve McQueen himself passed away from mesothelioma because of uh, fibers of asbestos that had been released into the air. In fact, he sought an alternative uh, treatment because there was nothing they could do in America. And they told him, hey, knock yourself out, travel the world. To his credit, Donald Trump in his first State of the Union address after surprisingly being elected president of the United States in 2016, it was a surprise to him and a surprise to everybody else, said... People shouldn't have to sneak off to other countries to try alternative treatments because they're waiting for FDA approval for 10 years for them to finish their testing and their certification. And that was great. 
So a guy like Steve McQueen, he had to slink off to Mexico like so many others of note and who are not of note. The other person who died of uh, mesothelioma was Merlin Olson. Now, many of you may have remembered Merlin Olson, not as I do, a great defensive lineman for the L.A. Rams. They had a great defensive front four. But you may have remembered he did the FTD commercials. He was on uh, Little House on the Prairie, an NFL games analyst out of uh, Utah. I think he was a Mormon. I'm not quite sure. But when he was diagnosed with it, he was stunned. He told the doctors, I've never smoked anything in my life. I'm a Mormon. He said, well, what kind of work did you have? Well, he said, when I was younger, working my way through uh, college, before I was able to develop uh, into a uh, defensive player and earn my way into the NFL, I used to take down a lot of drywall and put up its replacements. And back then, uh, a lot of those buildings, they all had asbestos. And so very plausible. And how many people listening to us right now Lived in the vicinity of Manville, New Jersey, right in Somerset County. It's only like two and a half miles, square miles. About 10,000 people, and it has browning fields galore because that used to be the asbestos-producing capital of the world, Manville. And so many people, so many people have gone down for the count with the mesothelioma cancer, which, once diagnosed, boy, it moves quickly. And I had no idea. That's how the Queen of Disco, Donna Summers, perished down in Naples, Florida. But I will tell you this. Long before she became a hit in New York, I found out uh, once I had gone to Germany to organize the Guardian Angels in Berlin. Give me a little of that music, Joe, man. You're putting us to sleep here. You got to pump up the volume here. You can't put it on the down low like everybody else. They like hearing themselves talk. No, people like the music with talk. That's what makes this program so different. But when I went to Berlin to organize the Guardian Angels in the 80s, I thought I thought these people were talking to me about uh, David Hasselhoff. You remember David Hasselhoff? <laughs> Actor here. But it's like they couldn't get enough David Hasselhoff singing over there in Germany. He had the lead single, I think it was called Looking for Freedom. He had been up in a crane in a bucket at the Berlin Wall when there was the collapse of the Berlin Wall. And they never forget, and he was singing Looking for Freedom. And I think he's become the number one pop star in the history of German pop music. Oh, my God. That's music I would never listen to. That's the kind of music that Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, would listen to. But before Donna Summers became the hit and the queen of D disco here, I had no idea that she sang German. That, in fact, she was the hit in Germany and not for disco, but she had appeared in the uh, musical presentation on stage in Munich of a hair. And she did a number of appearances with various groups in which she sang perfect German. Now, remember, she wasn't raised uh, speaking German in uh, Mission Hill in Boston. She had to pick it up when she went over. And right before graduating high school in Boston, she decided, that's it. I'm not waiting around to pick up my diploma. Technically a high school uh, dropout. She went to New York, and the next thing you know, she was over in Berlin, Hamburg, and Munich, and she blew the country up. We had no idea here. And then all of a sudden, she had this song that was Love to Love You, Baby, in 1976. 
And the German said, ah, that'll never make it. That song will never make it. And she, what are you talking about? It's a great song. And some kind of American musical impresario heard it and said, look, if the Germans don't want to do it and they don't want you singing it in German, tell you what, you sing it in English. And this is going to be a hit. And guess what? All of a sudden, Germans, uh, Germany's loss was our gain, was the disco world's gain, because from 1976 to 1984, she just dominated the charge. I don't think there was a day that you could put on an FM radio station, especially WKTU back then, which uh, appealed to the Supreme Cousines and Cousinettes and Boricuas, Latinos and Latinas. That was uh, the majority of their listeners then. Man, they couldn't get enough Donna Summers. I mean, you you would hear, like, within an hour, four or five different songs. <laughs> it was amazing. I had no idea yesterday would have been Donna Summers' 75th birthday. And I'll never forget about halfway into the 80s. It was this explosion by this group called ACT UP. They were out there, radical activists, because of HIV and AIDS that was ravaging the gay community. They were, like, uh, looking for folks who were demeaning gays. And they claimed that Donna Summers had demeaned gays because of AIDS. And I said, that, I can't imagine that. I, I understand Anita Bryan. You know, she's singing those orange shoes commercials. She was down in Florida. It was a whole different audience. But a lot of the, a lot of the club people were gay. Didn't make any sense. And it was really a disgrace that they tortured this woman, Donna Summers, by claiming that she was uh, a homophobe when she appeared many times and said, no, no, you got it all wrong. I never said that. But they needed a face to attack. They needed somebody to take their rage out. And they took it out on Donna Summers. And I must tell you, uh, at a concert that I saw her at from a distance, uh, on television, I never saw her in person in any of the clubs that I ever went to, I thought for sure she was uh, a man. I thought she had a uh, Adam's apple. So I'm going around there saying, I'm telling you, I think Donna Summers is a man. I mean, I think she's a transvestite at that time. Uh, nobody was talking transgender. Nobody was really talking about changing your sex to an operation. And people would say, are you sure, Curtis? I'd say, I'm telling you, I thought I saw that Adam's apple going up and down when she would sing. And other people would say, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Well, it turned out I was hopelessly wrong. But in the latter part of her life, Donna Summers became a real holy roller. A real holy roller. And yet continued to sing disco, which you would say, wait a second, a lot of the disco uh, sound, a lot of the disco words were very sultry, were very sexual, were very suggestive. I have no idea how she combined the two. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the most amazing thing that I learned was, A, that she was in the, uh, actually, the um, Broadway Roadshow of Hair, singing Aquarius in Hamburg and Munich in 1968. I had no idea. And more importantly, that she, like others, developed her cancer, in this case, mesothelioma, her lung cancer, 
which is the leading cause of cancer deaths in the nation. There are people who are getting lung cancer now, ladies and gentlemen, who never smoked a cigarette, cigar, tipperillo, or a joint in their life. It's either from secondary smoke or the environment, or in this case, the dust clouds that had engulfed lower Manhattan for weeks and weeks and months. And so even if you weren't in the pit, even if you weren't working in the immediate area, if you were living in the area like uh, Donna Summers was, you had to breathe in each and every day those particulae and what may have been the fibers of the asbestos that were still floating in the air. Gets into your lungs, and then slowly but surely, you develop mesothelioma as she did. And some others did. And remember... Somewhere in the middle of New Jersey, not far from Somerset County, where the center of asbestos production took place for decades, Manville, is Christine Todd Whitless. Who's Christine Todd Whitless? Well, she was the governor. Christine Todd Whitman was elevated afterwards to become the EPA chiefess of Bush 43. And in the aftermath of the attack of uh, 9-11, She said, oh, we've done comprehensive studies of the quality of the air in and around the World Trade Center attack, which had become the world's largest crematorium. And we can assure everyone who lives there, everybody who works there, everybody who goes to school there, and the men who every day and women who go down into the pit and continue the extrication process while still looking for signs of life or any particulae that can establish the identity of a person so that the family can finally be put to rest. And some of them died horrible deaths because of mesothelioma, other cancers, thyroid conditions, as a result of our U.S. government through Christine Todd Whitless, who I see from time to time, saying, give me back my party. I want my Republican Party back. I hate Donald Trump. I hate the Trumpers. I hated the Tea Party. Give me my party back. And I say to myself, lady, you should just disappear. You are a disgraziata. You are a shanda. Why would you even show your face? When the moment people see you, they know that you were the ambassador for the Bush administration, Bush 43, and it was your job to do the air testing, the air quality of lower Manhattan. And you said something that was just a lie. And it caused so many to suffer needlessly and so many to die. And today I found out that one of the many was, believe it or not, Donna Summers. I had no idea that she passed from mesothelioma and said it was a result of living down in the dust clouds near the World Trade Center inhaling the asbestos fibers. And eventually it just kicked in and it destroyed it, as it destroyed so many. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. We're back to doing live and local radio. That's the way it should always be here on WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. I wonder if anybody uh, is coming back to work. I can see on the schedule log here. Okay, Dominic Carter coming up at 12. That's good, live and local. Uh, Nancy will join me at 11 o'clock for our uh, weekly uh, animal welfare uh, hour. The most listened to, the most called into, the most requested of the many hours that I do at WABC, where the acronym stands for 
before the ball dropped and now again, always broadcasting Curtis. In fact, for any of you who haven't seen it, go to my Facebook because unfortunately everybody here who does social networking decided that they weren't going to work this entire past week because we had some great film in studio here when the ball dropped. We were doing live and local as I did the countdown on the microphone. Nancy, my wife, joined me with the uh, smallest, the runt of the 18 rescue cats uh, that we have at home. That was low-key. Our owner and operator, John and Margot Katsimatidis, was here. Rita Cosby was here. And I see uh, come tomorrow, apparently nobody's coming to work. The hell? Then they, what, what do they want to give up their radio programs? Uh, Dominic has to do uh, also... 12 to 1, and then he's on from 1 to 3. I guess Frank Morano forgot he has a job here at WABC. He must love Atlantic City's shooting craps, losing his money, and tasting wine and cheese. And then I'm on from 3 to 5 in the morning. And then I guess uh, Sid, I guess Sid doesn't want to come back. He's too busy fixing his pipes out there that burst during the holiday season uh, in the Rockaways. But we know he ain't fixing them. He's got the goy fixing them. So it'll be John Katzmatidis who will be in, along with yours truly, doing the morning drive show. The guy who owns it is doing as much radio as I'm doing here at WABC. Maybe we should call it CNC. Catch Matidis and Curtis. Almost like all the time here at WABC. Hey, the rest of you go brick slack is... Uh, those of you who think you're always going to stay number one, it was a tough climb up to be number one, but let me tell you, 35 years of radio experience says it's harder to stay number one than it is to get to be number one. And maybe, who knows, maybe somebody will wake you up from uh, binging and watching Netflix and doing your social networking and scratching your belly and watching all the football games and smacking the back of your head and tell you, get your ass back into the studio here at WABC so we can continue to be live and local and the number one news talk station in the nation. We're right now at dusk. We're heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker right next to the Bahamas and Bermuda. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yeah, we paid tribute to Donna Summers. Let's pump that up here, Joey. Yeah, I see uh, Frank Morano's crew is MIA tonight, and Matt Blaze is normally here. I guess he's a fugitive from law. I guess he doesn't want to work. Uh, oh, Ken, the uh, runway model, right? I guess he has a runway model job, that dork. And then Alex, the uh, brown nose, uh, with his nose up to talk to Sir Frank, he's not here. Hey, what do we got to do? Roll out the red carpet with you? Tell you, hey, it's back. You know, the holiday is over. We're back. Hey, that's right. Live and local radio. I don't know my. I see uh, Kevin George is in, a weekend producer who's also here during the week. He's got his boots on the ground. I see we have uh, Joey here manning the board. We got Carmela Carmelito. What the hell is your name again? Uh, what is that? You're from, you, 
Oh, Camellia from Canarsie. I should know that, being from Canarsie myself. Let me hear that pump up. Yeah. You know, it may be uh, spring before we learn of the fate of Lester Chang, who the Democrats are insisting they don't want a seat up in the assembly in Albany. Uh, I'll go through that momentarily. It may well be spring before that's figured out. And his colleague, both of these guys, war heroes, out there in the Rockaways and Broad Channel and Howard Beach, Tom Sullivan, both of them having won their assembly seats. But you never know it. Here it is. It's already January 1st. You think, well, they'd be up there with their colleagues. They'd be sworn in as brand-new Republicans in their district. But, oh, no, the Democrats are not going to allow that. Oh, yeah, check this. Uh, Come on, pump it up here, Joey. See, this is when you would get out onto the dance floor. It'll be spring before we get any of this done. And meantime, while two war heroes who were Republicans and conservatives who won against all odds their assemblymanic seats in Queens and Brooklyn have been put on the shelf by the Democrats, I'll get to the nitty-gritty details momentarily. A guy who I don't even know if his name is George Santos. Everything about this guy is fake, other than he was a Republican conservative running for the uh, congressional seat that had been vacated by Tom Swansea when he chose to challenge Kathy Crimewave Holcomb and lost in the primary. But he is waiting in the wings. Oh, I'm telling you, Tom Swansea is like the cat that swallowed Tweety Bird. He won't comment on it. But he's hoping that whole situation with George Santos implodes. And then he claims that he will he will come back. He will save the congressional district. He will turn it into Swaziland and not the part that is attached to South Africa. No, no, no. Or Germany. No, 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 no. But what he will suddenly christen Swaziland because he will say nobody other than I, Tom Swazi, can save that district which includes a swath of white stone right into Great Neck. Oh, go to Leonard's. Yeah, you know, you catch the marriage, the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah, the communion, the confirmation. And I remember they would play Donna Summers at weddings. They would play Donna Summers at bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and confirmations and cute communions at Leonard's on Northern Boulevard. And they'd also further down, there was a steakhouse. And a lot of people thought, what the hell is that steakhouse doing here on Northern Boulevard? I thought it was in Williamsburg. What steakhouse am I talking about? As I am prepared to give out, I believe, my first, yes, my first movie prize of the year. Don't ask, don't tell, because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. It's either that, you get the name of the steakhouse. Come on, Persian Jews out there, Iranian Jews. You know what the hell I'm talking about. And then also, what is the meaning of watch your P's and Q's? Mind your P's and Q's. I hear that all the time. People are telling me, hey, Sliwa, mind your P's and Q's. Watch your P's and Q's. What the hell? What do I got to do? Go into a Christini supermarket and get a can of uh, Jolly Green Giant? Hey, hey, John, can I have a can of Jolly Green Giant P's and Q's? I never heard of that before. We say it all the time. Well, what the hell does it mean? Mind your P's and Q's. Or watch your P's and Q's for the first Curtis Lee Booby Prize to be given away here at WABC, courtesy of the generosity 
John and Margot Kachmatidis of our parent uh, company, Red Apple. It's a beautiful styling and profiling WABC baseball cap. And attached to it, in big, bold letters, is Curtis Lee. And so if you happen to be walking about or driving about, somebody tries to carjack you, stick a toolie in your face and tell you to get out. They want the cars. They want the keys. Just say, "Hey, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to answer the Curtis Lewa here because you know something. I got a little camera right here in the Curtis Lewa patch, and he's gonna become your worst nightmare. Ah, you could try that, but I'm telling you, you got nothing to lose and everything to gain because if they decide to rob you and shoot you and kill you, at least maybe the patch will scare them off. It says Curtis Lewa down by law. OG, as the homies call me. Old gangster from 1979. I said, man, I ain't a gangster. I'm a guardian angel. Oh, this is such a good jam, Donna Summers. What would have been her 75th birthday yesterday? I had no idea that she had died from mesothelioma, asbestos poisoning. No idea. And how it has ravaged so many people that we've known, like Steve McQueen and Merlin Olsen. And how deadly it is once it affects the lung system and how many of our heroes who went down into the pit after 9-11, who lived in the area, worked in the area, went to school in the area, likewise suffered a horrible death as a result of developing mesothelioma in their lungs. And boy, that is the fastest and most deadliest cancer once it's in your lungs. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But on the flip side of uh, what's going to happen in the assembly. Oh, my God. By the way, before I get to the fate of Lester Chang, hero, duly elected state assemblyman in Brooklyn. And Tom Sullivan, his colleague, hero, war hero, duly elected state assemblyman in the Rockaways and Broad Channel. It was like an eight-hour orgy uh, of salutations and greetings up in Albany earlier today for the coronation, the swearing-in of Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, in which she said to us, <laughs> you liar, she's going to fight for affordable housing and public safety. Ah, you kidding you basically told everybody to leave. We're going to get to that momentarily. And then there was the image of the lady in red. Who is that? Tish James. Oh, my God, how she could stand there as attorney general. The only thing she's ever done as attorney general is prosecute anything named Trump. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's family members of Trump, whether it's Trump business, and nothing else. Nothing else. And she was wearing a red dress, and I said to myself, lady in red. Hey, say, Lady in Red, 1934. Hey, that's right. Venus Flytrap, Polly Hamilton, last girlfriend of John Dillinger. Dropped dime on John Dillinger, told the cops she ate the Parmesan cheese. He's coming with me to the movies. By the time the movies was over, he came out and they blasted him dead. Dead on arrival. Who was the other lady in red I remember from history? Nancy Reagan. It's like she always wore red. And then when you go back to history, just like when they would say a lady wearing red lipstick was a prostitute, they would say, likewise, if a lady wore a red dress, she was a prostitute, a homewrecker, or super ambitious. And I looked at Tish James and I said, you, who wouldn't even debate now one time, 
the Republican conservative candidate, great candidate, Attorney General, Michael Henry. Oh, his family, his father, still alive, vet, listens to us religiously here at WABC. But, oh, boy, she was nothing but, well, maybe a rooster, right? A hen, I don't know, capon. And yet, there she was being sworn in by the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, who gave an endless hour speech, the same speech he's given 20 times before. Everybody's heard it there, but naturally they appease him, they patronize him. I would have stood up and said, hey, Chuck, I've heard that same stupid speech four times before. You think you can get a little creative? But oh, no, they don't want to offend Chuck. Because Chuck E. Cheese controls the purse strings in Washington, along with the new potential speaker in the future of the House and Majority Leader of the Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, whose uncle, Leonard Jeffries, was the most virulent anti-Semite in the history of New York City. And that's saying a lot. He created the whole notion of ice people, that's us, the McWhitey Whiteys, and the sun people, that's right, African-Americans. So when you hear that nonsense, you say, who created that? Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Who is he? The uncle of Hakeem Jeffries. And took him on sojourns to Egypt, where he told him about the Nubian peoples from the Sudan, how they had uh, invented flight and invented the martial arts. Gee, I wish uh, Hakeem Jeffries could come on the show, because obviously he'd never come on with me. Maybe with Sid Rosenberg, who seems to be friendly with Eric Adams every day, more and more. Maybe he could interview his uh, hip-hop homeboy, Hakeem Jeffries, and say, tell us how the Nubian peoples of the Sudan who had migrated to Egypt actually invented flight in the martial arts. Could you tell us, Hakeem? And then all of a sudden he would realize, oh, my God, I can't tell him what my uncle used to teach me. People will think, I'm out of my mind. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Is this not one of the greatest... Disco hits of all time. Let's go to Jennifer from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jennifer. Hello, how are you? I was interested in telling you about Mind Your P's and Q's. What does it mean? It goes back to the colonial times when they had the typesetters and they put each individual letter in the frame to make the newspaper articles. And if you, you had to mind your P's and Q's, because if you put the P and the Q in wrong, it would look like a P or a Q, and it wasn't supposed to be. Mm. Like if you put the P in wrong, it would look like a Q, and the word would be spelt wrong. Now, and vice versa. You do know there was a um, a musical called Q. Do you remember the musical on Broadway called Q? Yeah, I never saw it though, but yes. Now, what did Q stand for? Because it sounds good, Jennifer. What you're saying. But I hesitate to anoint you as the first winner of the Curtis Lee Will Booby Prize the year 2023 because of the musical Q and all the various meaning uh, meanings that Q could have had. Mind your P's and Q's, watch your P's and Q's, and you're telling me this goes back to the Guttenberg Press and the first uh, newspapers that came off the Guttenberg Press? Well, more like... I don't know if it goes back then, but I know in the colonial period, that's what they would have to do. So they'd tell the people to mind their P's and Q's so that the newspaper article would well, be Well, Jennifer, I don't think that's it. I respectfully disagree with you because I've been told to mind my P's and Q's 
MYOB, Mind Your Own Business, ever since I was birthed at Brooklyn Hospital on March 26, 1954, and smashed in the dupa my tuchus by Dr. Duckman. I, I, I know it was a very sophisticated, it sounded good. You know, maybe in Jeopardy uh, we would have awarded Jennifer a prize, but I'm not doing that. In fact, I'm going to go to Mike in New Hyde Park, who's going for the Daily Double. Am I right about that, Mike? Correct, Mr. Sliwa. Uh, Peter Luger's is the steakhouse you're referring to. That Keys is good. And number, Hughes, right, hold on, hold on. Keys, number one, sure, sure. Number one, you got that correct because most people, if you would have said Peter Luger's, they would have said, of course, that's, uh, that's in Williamsburg. Uh, it is in Williamsburg, but there is also a uh, an affiliate, Peter Luger's, owned by the same family, uh, right there on Northern Boulevard in Great Neck. Excellent. So you get one now. You're going for the Daily Double, P's and Q's. <laughs> um, P's and Q's is a British naval term. Um, sailors were issued a quotient of rum for every voyage, and they were advised to mind their P's and Q's. Pints and quarts. Now that's more plausible, Mike. You see, I was ready to give away that Curtis Lee Booby Prize because Jennifer from Rockland County, oh, man, she brought us back to Colonial Times, the Gutenberg Press, the first newspapers, but I knew there was something wrong there. Yours is more plausible, but when they had their pints or they had their quarts, did it numb the effect of scurvy that they would develop while out in the high seas? No, only citrus would do that. Um, that's uh, a lack of vitamin C. But they were, I mean, can you imagine just being on a boat for three months? They gave them rum just to chill them out. And also because what's the one thing that they didn't have back then that we take for granted and oftentimes we run away because we're afraid of it? I don't know, sir. Dental care. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Remember, there yes, was no scurvy. Was a lack of vitamin C. It was a, it was a gum disease. Right, and and the, the, the pain that these men had because there was no, no flossing or brushing your teeth back then. You know, or taking whale blubber and like, you know, it, that's it. Your teeth rotted out. It's, it's it's why they're called limeys because they would take limes from the tropics and suck on the lime to get the citrus. That's right. That's, That's why I call them limey blimeys. You, oh, man, you've hit the trinity, the troika, the trifecta here, Mike. <laughs> but think of it. And this is why I learned this from my dad because he was a merchant seaman for 54 years. Obviously, they had dental care by then. But he said, boy, the old merchant seaman, and he introduced uh, me to them right there on Staten Island. He used to be their senior citizen retirement home right there. And again, yeah. that's a, that's another brain buster for anybody who happens to know where that used to be. Because I I would visit many times when we pick up my dad, the '54 Ford Old Betsy with the uh, white walls and the wooden panels. My mother would load uh, my sister Alita in there. My sister Maria. We take the Staten Island ferry over because you could actually put cars underneath. Uh, there was no Guinea gangplank at that time, the Verrazano Bridge. That's right, it was the Guinea gangplank. Everybody referred to it as, oh, you can't say that. I already did. And uh, we drive around Staten Island. Sometimes my dad's ship, uh, the Gulf Deer, the oil tanker, he couldn't get into the tank farms because of the fog in the Straits of the Verrazano. Couldn't get into the Arthur Kill, Killed Man Kill call because all the ships were queued up. So my mom would say, okay, we got a few hours before dad comes to port. 
Let's go to the Staten Island Zoo. You know what we did back in the Staten Island Zoo in the 60s, Mike? No. We petted horseshoe crabs. <laughs> All they had were horseshoe crabs. Curtis, I used to sell seashells, and people would bring in their hermit crabs because they grow and they need new shells. We would put the hermit crab in a box with a couple of shells for the customer, and whatever shell the crab crawled over to, then we would charge them for it. I did that for four years. You realize that right now in federal preserves like Jamaica Bay, that's a federal preserve, that if you take a horseshoe crab, they used to be littered everywhere. We thought they were old German uh, helmets that had washed ashore, you know, from uh, the battles of World War II. You take one horseshoe crab, you could end up going to jail. The Chinese think that it's an aphrodisiac. So they go there, the wee hours in the morning, they're in a rowboat, and then all of a sudden you hear a helicopter overhead. It's the federal police. All right, hands up. Right, let's see what you got. And they show the loot, which is horseshoe crabs. Oh, you're going to be doing triple life without parole. Can you believe that, Mike? You take a horseshoe crab out of a federal preserve, yeah, I, you could do federal time. Yeah, and human life human life means nothing, but let's protect the horseshoe crabs. I'm telling you, I remember those horseshoe crabs. Mike, stay on the line, Mike. Mike gets uh, the trifecta. Man, you got three questions. Peter Lucas on Northern Boulevard there in Great Neck. By the way, where uh, <laughs> George Santos is not welcome. He's not welcome in Leonard's. And I hope that none of you uh, Iranian Jews, you Persian Jews, welcome him to any shuls or synagogues. Because I know you bankrolled him. I know many of you Republicans, you got bamboozled like everyone else. You thought that he was a gay Latino Jew. Turns out we don't even know if he's gay. Only sort of, sort of, sort of leans in that direction, if you've ever met him. Uh, he's not a Latino because he's from Brazil. He's Portuguese. And uh, he claims that he was raised Catholic, but that makes him Jew-ish. Because on Saturday mornings, he would go to the bagel bending place. He'd get the bagel. He'd put the schmear on it. And he'd wear, walk past the shul or a synagogue but not go in, which made him Jew-ish. Now make sure Carmelo, Carmelita, Carmine, whatever your name is from Canarsie, you get all of Mike's information. He is the first. Curtis Lee will booby prize winner of this uh, year of 2023. And amazing, he hit the Trinity, the Troika, the Trifecta. 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. First ever electronic dance music song. 1977. And it was by Donna Summers. I feel love.
Eight years, she dominated the charge, 76 to 84. She would have multiple hits every year. There were times you would turn on the Supreme Cuisine and Cuisinette Station, WKTU, lots of Boricuas, Puerto Ricanos would listen to Italians and Latinas and Latinos. I mean, she rocked the house. I mean, sometimes within the course of an hour, you would hear four Donna Summers disco classics. Nobody in music ever dominated the playlist the way she did from 1976 to 1984. And Vinnie Madugno had to remind me when he allowed me to be a DJ, a disco DJ, first time ever here on WABC from 5 to 6, that her anniversary of her birthday, which she would have been 75, was Saturday. I feel so bad that I didn't remember that. And more importantly, when I did the deep dive, that she had died of mesothelioma because she had lived in the shadow of the World Trade Center site when it was attacked on 9-11. And she was in the midst of all that dust that was hanging in the air every day for days, weeks, months, a year or more. The fibers of asbestos that were released into the air that infected so many men and women. And they ended up being perishing from mesothelioma because once the fibers got in their lungs and they were triggered off, it became lung cancer. And that is the fastest cancer killer of all that exists in society today. And I had no idea. I had no idea. And in addition to all the heroes post 9-11 who perished from that, when Christine Todd Whitless, the head of the EPA, the EPA chief, just told the world, no problem, you don't need a respirator, you don't need a hazmat suit, you don't need a mask, you don't need Playtex gloves, you don't need anything, just inhale, exhale. So many did. And they died and didn't just die. They died horrible, torturous deaths. 1-800-848-9222. So here it is. We got two heroes on the bench with nothing at all to mar their record of service to America, both uh, within the armed forces in time of war. Lester Chang, who won his assembly seat fair and square, against Peter Abate Jr. in Brooklyn, who for 36 years basically just uh, hung his uh, hung his hat on that chair up in uh, Albany. Where's my music? Where's my music? That's right. Make sure you bring it back, Joey. Got to have my music here. You know, I'm not like everybody else here. Five seconds of music. Oh, don't play the music because it encroaches on my talk time. No, you conflate the music with the topic. And Lester Chang, hero been threatened and said you may not be seated when the new assembly is sworn into office right after today. Will he be put on the shelf till spring? And his colleague, a hero, war hero of his own right, Tom Sullivan, who won fair and square against the daughter of Audrey Pfeiffer, the Queens County clerk who runs the court system there. How's he going to get a fair shot in court? The fix is in against Tom Sullivan. And meantime, all the attention is on George Santos, the biggest fake, phony fraud 
for Gacy that has ever existed in politics, and that's saying a lot. And there are Republicans who are taking the code of Omerta as he will be sworn in on the floor of the House on the 3rd, which is Tuesday. Hey, you think everybody could be back here at work by Tuesday? You know, WABC, number one news talk station in the nation. I hate to tell you, you know, might be nice because maybe you come back and you won't have a program to broadcast on. If I have it my way. By the way, let me give some salutations and greetings to a number of personalities that you hear from time to time on WABC. But, oh, boy, some of them did double and triple duty like our own Dominic Carter, who will be on tonight from 12 to 3, substituting for Frank Morano, I guess, doesn't know where WABC is. He loves Atlantic City. Hey, maybe, Frank, you should stay in Atlantic City, broadcast from there at that little rinky-dinky station in Atlantic City. Or Sid Rosenberg, who's right there in the Rockaways, telling us he's repairing his pipes. Are you kidding? What Jewish guy ever repairs their pipes? They hire the Goyim to do it. Hey, hey, Sid, the show's right here. John Katsimatidis is going to do it. I'm going to do it. Maybe they'll never come back. And guess what? Somehow life will go on. And if enough of us work hard like they did this past week in their absence, Lydia Serrani did magnificently in substituting, uh, as she did, for uh, Brian Kilmey. Now, Brian's a hard worker, but Brian, like most talk show hosts, you know, it's like whoever I leave to replace me when I'm away, I want them to be a little pissier, a schmendrick, somebody that when you listen to them, you will say, oh, I can't wait till Brian returns. Or Bill O'Reilly, likewise, with that Mike Slater that does that 15 minutes before I come back on from 12, 15 to 1. Guy's a podcaster. His number one news. Guys, you want to stay away? Do me a favor. Stay away. Our bench is doing very well. Dominic Carter, Lydia Serrani, and Anthony Weiner. Substituting for both Snurley, four to five, and he'll continue to do so this week. I, for all I know, hey, when are they coming back? I don't know. Hey, do me a favor, stay away then. You don't want to work? Stay away. Go ahead. Binge on Netflix, scratch your belly button, do your social networking, and complain that this is hard work. Let's go to Walter, who's calling from Lakewood, Florida. Oh, I love Lakewood, Walter. It's a little square mile city in Palm Beach County, correct? Walter, in Lakewood, Florida, Joey. Lakewood, Florida, wake up. Yes, Walter. I think I know the answer to to uh, your question, sailors. Snug Harbor. That's right. Snug Harbor. And uh, what brought you down to Lakewood, Florida, one square mile right there in Palm Beach County? Well, we were tired of the snow and the ice. And I always remember that when there was a bad snowstorm, uh, the sanitation would come, and the plows were always plowed to, plowed to put the snow to the right side. And every time you shovel out, they come again, and they'd plow you back in. Plus, my wife and I couldn't, get, couldn't stand the cold anymore. Huh. So where, we've been, where were you originally from here up in the Northeast? Brooklyn. 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 Well, what high school did you go to? I went to Stuyvesant. Oh, Brainiac, Walter. I see you were smart. <laughs> you went to Lakewood. I got to tell you now, it's a oh, Not Lakewood, Lake Worth. Oh, I'm sorry, Lake Worth. Of course. I, I, I mispronounced it. You have to understand. I botulized the English language, but it's Lake Worth. It's one square mile 
Palm Beach County, and it's filled now with millennials and hipsters. Mm-hmm. Filled. How do you afford to live there anymore? They've driven out the senior citizens. <laughs> we have good pensions from New York City. Thank God, Walter. Thank God. And why do you listen to WABC when you got so many other stations down in South Florida? I've always loved WABC. I like I like you and Nancy a lot. I like the other people who are on on the station, and I like the musical aspect of the weekend. But I have a, I have a question for you. Yes. What's the origin of the words "holy mackerel"? Right, holy mackerel. You know, I gave uh, Sid Rosenberg mackerel. For the seven fishes, uh, you know, Christmas Eve, because uh, he somehow claims he, sometimes he's an observant Jew, but we know he's a BLT Jew, and they can eat mackerel, <laughs> but they can't eat uh, trafe, you know, like clams and mussels mm-hmm. and lobster. But holy mackerel, what is the origin of that? I have no idea. Well, why are you asking me? <laughs> you know everything. Oh, no, no, I don't. In fact, the other the other day I was quite embarrassed. In fact, it was last night, uh, the welcoming in of the new year, John Katzmatidis, uh, Margot Katzmatidis, Rita mm-hmm. Cosby, Nancy was here, our our newest uh, rescue cat, Loki, was here, and we were playing Guy Lombardo, you know, old Lang Syne, and I was telling everything sure. about Guy Lombardo, where he was from, London, Ontario. Uh, he was in Freeport, the Nautical Mile. He had speed races there. And then John gave me a simple question. Is he alive or dead? And I, I was stumped. And then mm-hmm. we found out he died in the late 70s, apparently down in Florida, I believe. I'm not, not quite sure on that. But I tell you, that rocked my world there, Walter. I don't know everything. I, I, I was right on the spot. I was like I was flummoxed. <laughs> but now, Walter. You know everything about the city. Lake Worth, Florida. Oh, my God, one square mile. Now, have you ever been to that restaurant downtown right near City Hall? Which one? Uh, the one that was, was Chris's. Yes, the one that was owned by the family of the former congressman there, who was getting a little too friendly with the pages. Okay. Now, nah, see, that's okay. a brain buster there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I organized the Guardian Angels there, this is way back in the eighties. They had a crack cocaine problem there. A lot of Haitians that were pouring in and bringing in drugs, and we were like uh, stomping thugs over there, and we stopped at that restaurant. The congressman was the maitre d', and he said, I love the guardian angels. But he loved the younger guardian angel males a little too much, if you know what I mean, Walter. <laughs> mm-hmm. He gave them a few uh, pieces of free food. I said, you know, we don't take free food. He said, but he, gave, he, said he liked the work we did, and he especially liked the way I wore my red beret. He said, you never talk to that guy again. Give him the food back now. <laughs> Anyway, Walter, I appreciate it. You stay on the line. I know I'm breaking the rules here already. I'm giving away another booby prize. I've been told. Thank you. I've been told, you know, there's a quota here because of a supply chain issue from Red China, a.k.a. Mainland China. Stay on the line, Walter. Uh, Carmelito, uh, whatever her name is, from Canarsie. We'll get your information. Snug Harbor. Snug Harbor. I got to tell you the story, Snug Harbor. So, uh, uh, we pick my dad up. Remember, oh, I'm picking up. I'm connecting from the previous story. Remember, the fog is finally burnt off. It's lifted. We're tired of uh, petting the uh, horseshoe crabs at the Staten Island Zoo. And we go pick up my dad, Chester, uh, from the Gulf Deer at the tank farms down the road in Staten Island, where you can see Jersey on the other side. And you pass Snug Harbor, which is now a cultural center. It's a magnificent cultural center. But back then... 
it was the place where seamen would go. That would be their senior citizen home. And my father would bring me there because my mother would often say, Chess, if you give me a hard time, I'm going to send you to Snug Harbor. You can hang out with your buddies. And he had a lot of buddies there. And we go in there. We'd always stop there once we picked him up from the ship. And he would introduce me to guys that he had sailed with for years. And they had a plug-in. They had these long rows of, uh, I wouldn't call them chairs. They were magnificent. Uh, you would find them in churches where, where the bishops would sit or the cardinals would sit. I, I don't have the word for it. And they would have a plug-in for their radios. They would all listen to radios religiously. And I would say to Daddy, how come they, how come they listen to radios, Daddy? And he'd go, because when you're out at sea, you have nothing else to do but try to pick up signals from the BBC, which at that point was the only global radio station. And a vow was made. I made it for John Katzmatidis and Margot Katzmatidis as the ball came down and we were broadcasting live, locally, regionally, nationally, and globally yesterday to welcome in the new year that we would compete with the BBC Four. I'm so fond of saying we are the only international radio station, the BBC Four. Well, guess what? You got competition now from WABC because with an app, you can hear it crystal clear anywhere in the world. With the streaming audio on your laptop or your worktop computer, you can hear it anywhere in the world. And right now on your old terrestrial radio, you can hear it at sunset 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones' locker between Bermuda and the Bahamas. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Booby prize. Yeah, I broke the rule. So what? He's calling all the way from Lake Worth in Palm Beach County. It's one square mile. And there are so many New Yorkers and those from New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Connecticut who have fled down there. The exodus continues. And I will tell you this. I've had many conversations with the start of this new year. I would say to people, uh, what is your resolution? And uh, some people have said, you can put it up a little bit. You got to get a year for this, Joe. You got to know exactly the right spot. That's good. That's good. My resolution is to get the hell out of here. And I know a lot of you, you cheat at night. No, 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 not on your husbands and wives, although some of you do, let's face it. And you'll get cold busted and you will suffer the ramifications. Trust me. 
But uh, you cheat. You go on the computer late at night under the cover of darkness, and you check out the opportunities to flee, to pick up and leave and go south of the Mason-Dixon line, whether it's to Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, and the number one destination now for everyone in all 50 states for the first time in 65 years, DeSantis land, freedom land, Florida. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to have said, that's it, Curtis, I'm sorry. I know your whole mantra, your whole belief system, Curtis, is improve, don't move. But we've had it. We've had it. The congestion, the prices, the crime, the flotsam, the jetsam, the rats, the garbage. The fact that the Democrats are driving us further and further into the ground. And they make it appear as if you're a Republican or conservative, that you're a leper, that you belong in a leper colony. In fact, they're telling us to leave. Now, what do I mean by that? You saw a lady in white today after an eight-hour orgy of self-applause and self-congratulations. You know, the swearing-in of our very first female governor, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. Dressed all in white, right, talking on and on with everybody else. It was like eight hours. It's sort of like when the Super Bowl comes. You know, it used to be, okay, you had a pregame show, you had the Super Bowl postgame show. Now you have a pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-p
The mice will play. I guess they expect to have a job in perpetuity. But anyway, I digress. Put that on the shelf. So nine months ago, she's telling everybody to leave. If you supported Trump, if you supported uh, Congressman Zeldin, if you supported Molinaro. I mean, Molinaro didn't even vote for Trump, right? Get out of here. And they did. And now today, Lady in White, please come back. We've got a $12 billion looming deficit in debt. I need you to come back. Please, I want to be your friend. Too late. Too late. And then, of course, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, number one ally to Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, his new moniker, Out of Town Adams. Remember, it was two years ago on the... um, on the floor of the National Action Network of Al Slim Shady Sharpton, that he said the following. Go back to Iowa. You go back to Ohio. New York City belongs to the people that was here and made New York City what it is. Now, didn't he recently say, no, 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 I I don't want them to go. I want them to stay, especially if they're paying the taxes. You know, there's like 1% to pay 52% of the taxes. Please stay. Could I hear Eric Adams again? Again, please. please. Go back to Iowa. You go back to Ohio. New York City belongs to the people that was here and made New York City what it is. So just a month ago, you said, no, no, I didn't mean that. I want you to stay. No, I want those who don't pay taxes to leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too late. Too late. And then who started all this nonsense, this Michigash, four years ago, remember? Andrew, evil eyes, Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Francia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, who thought he was on his way to becoming the president. Not when he stood in his bully pulpit and he told everyone, screw you, leave too. Are they these extreme conservatives who are... Right to life, a poor assault weapon, anti-gay, is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and if they are the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York. So this because that's not who New Yorkers are. Well, guess what? They left. <laughs> you don't want them, right? Who wants to stay around when you're not wanted? You're paying the taxes, right? And then they're calling you all kinds of names, telling you, to, hey, we can survive without you. And then all of a sudden, please, don't go anywhere. We need your taxes. We don't want your input, just your taxes. We want to pickpocket you. You know what they are? They're fake, phony, fraudulent fagazis. That's why in the lead-in you hear it says, Curtis Lee says, don't trust any politicians. I don't trust any of them. Look. You get a George Santos, liar, Kaka down Pinocchio. You get a Kathy Crime Wave Hokum who tells him, can I hear the Kathy Crime Wave Hokum again? Nine months ago, she's telling you, me, and anyone who is a Republican conservative to get the hell out of New York State. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. Today, after the eight-hour orgy of self-congratulation, you know, I saw, who was that? Uh, uh, Rabbi Joe Potashnik's partner up there, the reverend up there. He was like, uh, what's he doing on our program, right? Don't we have a reverend who's a Republican? 
Reverend Bernard there, oh, my God, he was kissing Tuchus of the governor. I bet you uh, Joe Potashnik would have been up there, too, the rabbi. Did I have my music, Joe? You know, it's nice to have a little bit of musical flow in the under. That's right, you know. Got to keep it going, man. That's my flow, man. High energy. I'm high maintenance. I'm not like these other shows, you know. Uh, Biden sucks. Trump is falling off his horse. And the sanctimonious might be the next president. No, no, no. We're going in a million different directions. And what we do here is not forget our number one listeners in all of the tri-state area who are not from New York City, who are not from the rest of New York State, who are not from Connecticut, who are not from Pennsylvania. They are from New Jersey. And I have made a solemn vow to my mentor, Bob Grant, the king of all local talk radio, none better than him, who is down there in Manalapan on the Jersey Shore and would constantly do live broadcasts from the Rio Diner in Woodbridge. And I mean, hundreds would come, thousands would come, that when you do the analytics per capita, per person, The number one listeners to WABC over all of our transformations, over all of the decades, have been from New Jersey. And I honor that because I don't just want to be New York City-centric, although at times we sound that way, especially because we have somebody in charge of imaging. Oh, God. I'm not even going to say his name. I don't want to... I don't want to feel soiled. I'm going to feel like I need to take a shower. Everything is New York, New York City. Well, guess what? There's a governor in New Jersey who is the head of the DNC governors group who is helping to elect governors all over America who are Democrats, who, believe it or not, thinks he's going to become the future president of the United States. Half in the bag, Murphy. If you look at his uh, video. His holiday video with his wife from Drum Thwacket in New Jersey. The guy is hammered. His eyes are like rolling around in his head. The guy is, I mean, he's a lush. But he also told all of you knuckleheads. You notice how he tells you taxpayers and non-taxpayers in Jersey, a state of 9 million plus people, like county illegal aliens. Can I call them illegal? Do I get locked up? Will I lose my job like some people are losing right now? Because they will not abide by calling them undocumented aliens. No, to me, they're illegal aliens. When you count them all, it's probably 10 million in New Jersey. And he calls you all knuckleheads. And you reelected them anyway. You love to be demeaned. You loved. It's like you're a human piñata. The guy calls you knucklehead, knucklehead, knucklehead. And then he tells you, if you don't like it here in Jersey, if you don't like paying the taxes, then leave. And I would say this. If you're a one-issue voter and tax rate is your issue, we're probably not your state. Probably not your state. So basically he's saying sayonara, and you are. I'm looking at the exodus totals for all of 2022. Most from New York, second most from New Jersey, Connecticut and Pennsylvania. And where are they going to? Again, south of the Mason-Dixon line, Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and number one, Florida. And why is that? Well, quality of life is better. Taxes are lower. Schools have actually improved tenfold. And you feel like you're in freedom land. You don't have to put on a mask every five uh, steps that you take. And it's been that way ever since DeSantis was the governor of Freedom Land. And in advance of his own uh, his own trauma for the state, which was the hurricane that slammed, Hurricane Ida that slammed into western Florida, Fort Myers and Lee County. 
He said what our governor, Crime Wave Holcomb, and Governor Murphy should be saying, but they'll never say it in a month of Sundays. The other thing that we're concerned about, particularly in those areas that were really hard hit, is, you know, we want to make sure we're maintaining law and order. Uh, Don't even think about looting. Don't even think about taking advantage of people in this vulnerable uh, situation. And so local law enforcement is involved in in, in, in monitoring that. You know, I told Kevin if the state needs to help as well, uh, because you you can have people, you know, bringing boats into some of these islands and trying to ransack people's homes. Um, I can tell you in the state of Florida, uh, you never know what may be lurking behind somebody's home. And I would not want to chance that if I were you, given that we're a Second Amendment state. Damn right. They'll shoot you. And it isn't necessarily the deputy sheriffs, the sheriffs, the county cops or the municipal cops. It's the people themselves who are armed. As he said, we're a proud Second Amendment state. You come through that door, we advocate to our people that you shoot them between the eyes. If they're dead, they're dead. So so be it. This way, it's not three hots in a cot, three optical, free optical, free dental, free trips to the law library to find the nuance in the law that's going to spring you back into society where you can go on a rampage again. I mean, that's the way it should be, and that's why so many people are fleeing to DeSantis land, Florida, and will continue to do so. Just like our previous caller in the uh, 9 o'clock hour who had left Brooklyn, went to Stuyvesant, was a brainiac, obviously had a good pension, uh, good Social Security, good money salted away, and he went to a one-square-mile community in Lake Worth where the real estate is overpriced because of the hipsters and millennials there. And he ain't going nowhere. He loved it down there, like so many other people do. And because of that, people are going to continue to flee. The number one resolution that I've questioned people about as we've come into the new year of 2023. And I hope to improve and not move and convince you to do so. Don't abandon ship. But all signs out there based on the swearing in of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, the continued spin that out of town uh, Eric Adams and the swagger man with no plan put on how bad things are in New York City, and the horrible uh, leadership of half in the bag Murphy and Trenton. That exodus will continue. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to, um, actually, let's go to uh, Jeff, who's calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Happy New Year, Curtis. Hey, Curtis, I used to work on a lobster boat back in the day, and... They had guys that used to do, you know, they clammed. And they used to actually go out to Jamaica Bay at a certain time of the year. And they'd get a whole bunch of bushels of clams. And they call it a transplant. They'd take them out east. I don't know if they put them in the ocean side or the sound side, but they took them out east. And they leave them there for six months, an hour, uh, a year. And um, they would actually, the clams clean themselves. So you could eat them. They'd be like clean clams. And, no, 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 uh, hold on, Jeff. Hold on. Hold yeah. On, hold on. <laughs> hold on. It's like a cat that cleans itself. You see the cat cleans itself from its butt to its head. Are you trying to say that when nobody is looking, the cat, all, I mean, the clam all of a sudden opens up, you know, its shells? The clam actually, yeah, it's alive, you know, they're living. The clams actually are living and breathing, you know what I mean? So when you take them out of that environment and you send them to private school out east, they straighten up and they clean and they come out good. Now the cats, that's a whole different story. You got to train these cats. You should have like cat, cat, kitty, 
taekwondo, get them out in the parks, get them on the subways. The cats are fast, and they can communicate better, too. They'd be like little kitty angels. Oh, yeah. Remember, uh, they're predatorial, so uh, they can certainly uh, do away with the rats and the mice. Eric Adams, Swagger Man with no plan. You know, I'll be a rat czar for no money. You don't have to pay me. I know more about two-legged rats. I'm the biggest rat in all of New York City. I've worn wires. I've put organized criminals from uh, organized crime away. I'm proud of it. I've eaten the Parmesan cheese. But I know you need somebody to deal with the four-legged rats. Our mayor has said he's afraid of rats. I get it. There are a lot of people afraid of rats. He says that when he sees a rat, of which obviously he's going to see in traveling the city, they're everywhere. Uh, that it, it bothers him all day long. And, in fact, when he was borough president in Brooklyn, Nancy tried to convince him, since she runs uh, a feral cat colonies in Sunset Park, which was in his jurisdiction, uh, to promote feral cat colonies. And he was too busy drowning rats. I mean, he actually called in the press. He had this big fish tank of water. And he was drowning rats, and it was like clockwork orange. His eyes were all wide and glazed. He was, like, happy. Man, that's not the way to get rid of rats. (laughs) Pesticides won't do it. Dry ice in the lairs won't do it. Because they have survivors. They're smart. They're intelligent. You let Mother Nature do it. Chicago is the rat capital of America. New York's number two. You know what Chicago does now? They tell all of the cities all over the country, if you have any cats in your shelters, we'll take them. We'll pay for them. Uh, Then they give them out to mostly women but some men, and they they raise them in colonies. As long as you feed them, you water them, they know they have a place where they they can survive. They stay in that area. You won't have rats. You won't have mice. You won't have rodents at almost minimal cost to the taxpayers. Now, you would say if Chicago was doing it out of desperation, Why the hell wouldn't we do it in New York City where we're overrun with rats? By the way, I'd be more than happy to be the rat czar. No money. You don't have to pay me anything. I do it in my off hours. Uh, I've been in the sewers. I've dealt with rats. I'm not afraid of rats. I know exactly. I know exactly who the rats are afraid of. And it's not me. And it's not you, Eric Adam. It's four-legged cats. (laughs) C-A-T-Z. <laughs> New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Miami Sound Machine. As the exodus continues... By the way, uh, like all of you, I love WABC. I listen to WABC all that I can when I'm not on the air myself. Now, where's uh, Kevin Drosh, uh, weekend producer? Do you think you could summon him into the studio there? Please, do it now, please. Yeah, you know. I hate to uh, interfere with what uh, you all are doing there in the studio, but this, this is important because I am an avid listener of WABC. I listen to the commercials. I listen to the promos. Uh, uh, Kevin Josh, can you put the microphone on there, Kevin Josh? Uh, I'm going to give you some work here, Kevin. I heard this promo. Uh, it was Bo Snurdly uh, talking about Mark Stein on every Tuesday at 4.15. Okay. I 
haven't heard this guy on in like uh, four months, yeah, you know, and they we run the same freaking promo. You know, this is like false advertising. Uh, did the people who put these promos together realize that maybe this guy's still sitting shiver for the death of the queen and he's in mourning or half in the bag or something? But Or he's in Atlantic City on vacation. I don't know, man. And so, like, we're promoting people that I never hear on this station. Mark Stein, right? He's good when he was on, but... I, I, well, that's right. Bo's not back. That's why we have Anthony Weiner on, who's been doing a great job. Hey, keep taking time off, Bo. You may not have a place to come back to. And then we can run... We'll probably still run uh, the promo about Mark Stein, you know, uh, yeah, every Tuesday at 4.50. And I wait there like a schmuck, like a putch. Every Tuesday for, oh, Mark, no Mark Stein. But he's going to be with us next week. No Mark Stein. No Mark Stein. You know, it's a department called Consumer Affairs. They didn't do anything when FTX was saying, hey, you can be a millionaire. Be a millionaire, right? 32 billion gone. And that, that, uh, <laughs> that little pisher is, uh, he's wearing a, an ankle bracelet at his mommy and daddy's house. More professors. Yeah, we can trust them. And who does he have come over there? This Chinese-American female drop-dead gorgeous cryptocurrency Ponzi scammer. Hey, when you're under house arrest, you don't get visits other than your lawyer or a doctor if you had a medical emergency. What the hell is going on? Anyway, uh, sorry I got to play program director here, but I keep hearing this promo. Let uh, hear Mark Stein. What happened? Did he disappear? Did he die? Hope not. Anyway, let's go to Jerry, who's calling from Passaic, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jerry. Curtis, I love you. I met you a couple of times at a few Republican uh, fundraisers when I used to live in New York. Now yeah. I moved into this little brother of rottenness, Jersey. <laughs> Wait, this can is, you repeat that? What, what did you call Jersey? It's little New York's little brother of rottenness and decay. Okay. All right. So now I'm I'm thinking that you're doing what I think many of our listeners are doing. You got one foot out the door, right? Yeah, but I gotta convince I gotta convince my wife and then I have to convince my son, but he has to stay here for two two more years because he just bought a house and in order to get you know uh, you have to live in a house two to three years in order to just pay a capital gains and not get crucified because it's important for him to move because we only got one son and a daughter-in-law, but we have six grandkids. No, no. Well, Jerry, just tell him it's like being an indentured servant to the state of New Jersey and the governor, Absolutely. Murphy, who calls you all knuckleheads. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would vote for Murphy. Put him in jail. <laughs> no, this is what Jerry, I thought. Vote for him. Jerry, uh, he's got he's got a thirty eight million dollar mansion in Italy that he spends half his time in. Uh, you know, because he is another graduate from Goldmine Sachs. Everyone in Jersey, oh, if you graduated Goldmine Sachs, let's make you governor. Corazine first, Murphy now. They're planning. They're planning on Fulop, the Jersey City Mayor, who's a graduate of Goldmine Sachs, over your dead body, right, Jerry? And uh, the, the mayor of Jersey City should basically be. They ought to take him and flush him down the nearest cesspool. <laughs> hey, uh, cesspools. Uh, I was thinking about cesspools out in the Connecticut. And, you know, you were talking about, you were talking about, you were talking about two-legged rats. You forgot four-legged rats. Yeah. Some of the people we elected. Well, uh, let me tell you something. Jerry, uh, I want to convince you. Well, by the way, if you do leave, where are you leaving to? 
Uh, I'm thinking either the Carolinas, Tennessee, or Texas. Wow, you see that? North to South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, the flight continues. You know. The flight continues. Jerry, look, I I wish you all the best of luck because you escaped New York. Then you ended up in Jersey where Murphy calls you all knuckleheads and tells you, hey, you don't like it, leave. You're going to pay high taxes. Screw you. You're just uh, you're just normal, normal peeps. Me, I'm I'm a millionaire, gold mine sacks. I got my thirty eight million dollar mansion in Italy. I'm there half the time. Uh, he should just uh, resign and try to become uh, the Vatican ambassador. Uh, since uh, Joe Biden claims he's such a good Catholic, I'm sure he's got juice with this Pope Francis, who should retire like the former Pope did, the German Shepherd Benedict. Should retire at 83. His allegiance is to Che Guevara, his fellow fellow Argentine. That's right, Che Guevara, as opposed to JC. Let's go to Stan in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stan. Good after good evening, Curtis. When you mentioned Donna Sermons died from 9-11, I just stopped in my tracks for a second. They said, holy you-know-what. I mean, amazed. Okay, going back to... Yeah, well, now, let me just uh, clarify that. She happened to be living in the area like a lot of people. And she probably heard the reports from Christine Todd Whitless. Yep. Don't worry. Everything's fine. And she ended up with this horrible lung disease. Yep. Oh, my God, Methodist, uh, I can't even pronounce it anymore. I'm tongue-tied. And she was the queen of disco. She was great. Oh, the best. Okay, another topic. The guy that said the P's and Q's were pints and quarts for the British. Didn't the British always have the metric system? It would have been leaders. Wow, that's right. Wow. You, how do we get back that booby prize? Wait a second. That guy <laughs> scored the trifecta. Although, it doesn't matter. Leaders, pints, or quarts. The governor of New Jersey would drink it all. Absolutely. Oh, Stan, as a Brooklynite, I want you to go on the Governor Murphy's website. All of you should do that. The governor's website, he gives salutations and greetings for the holidays. Uh, He's at Drum Thwacket, which is the governor's residence. He is smashed, Stan. You look at him, his eyeballs are rolling in his head. You said, this guy is smashed. Well, that's what happened in New Jersey. You know, that's the way it is. All right, so quantify it. You're saying that when they say, watch your P's and Q's or mind your P's and Q's, what does it mean? It seems to be, according to Wikipedia, it deals with learning the alphabet. Learning the alphabet. Is this like hooked on phonics? Uh, I don't know, but uh, I just quickly looked at uh, Wikipedia. It kept on mentioning, you know, the alphabet one way or another in education from the 1800s to the 1900s. Wow, I got vertigo on this, Stan. I got vertigo on this. I guess a simple question. And many of you have heard that ever since you were birthed and you've been growing up, when someone in your family or some adult said, hey, hey, little one, uh, you better watch your P's and Q's. You better mind your P's and Q's. And nobody appears to know what it is. Wow. Let's see. Oh, Gary in Inwood. Gary normally knows these kind of things. Uh, Gary, can you ride to the rescue? Yes, I can, Curtis, from my own personal experience and what I know for fact. Time period is right. It's colonial. Well, what happened when pubs were near closing time, and instead of saying last call, which is that wasn't the terminology at the time, 
They would tell you to mind your pints and quarts because we're closing. Mind your what? Your pints and quarts because it's close to closing time. Right, but you heard the guy from Brooklyn. He said, oh, they, they, they don't no. serve pints and quarts. They serve liters. No, no. And with that said, I experienced that in Belfast, uh, Ireland in 2017 at a pub. Same thing. They have an overhead bell with a string on it. So they're going back to their terminology and say, pubs close at 11 o'clock. And just before closing time, you would say, mind your pints and quarts. Well, look, I trust you, Gary. You've been right so Thank often. You. By the way, Thank update, I saw all the elected officials from Erie County at this eight-hour swearing-in for Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, one of their own. Uh, they're not even back to normal in Buffalo or Erie County, are they? No, my son lives in Lockport. And my trip up there was for December 23rd with Amtrak, and it was canceled. My my son told me, even if Amtrak started out, they wouldn't have made been able to make the trip. It would have closed down, and he's 20 minutes south of uh, Buffalo Depew train station where he would have picked me up. He says, there's no way I would have got to you. I, I see. I don't understand that, Gary, is that... Uh, why would they be in Albany for the swearing in of their their hometown gal who basically abandoned ship when they were getting clobbered uh, with that storm of the century? She was nowhere to be found. So they all schlep over to Albany. They're getting drunk. They're getting stoned. They're partying. They're raising the roof. You know, they're, they're patting each other on the back so hard they'll have to go for a chiropractic uh, adjustment. And they basically abandoned Erie County and abandoned the surrounding area that is still struggling with the snow. They're still finding bodies. Yeah, my, like I said, my son said, if I move enough, once again, Lockport, if I move, if I drive 20 feet to a third, 20 minutes south of where I am to try to get to, forget it wouldn't happen. Incredible. Well, I appreciate you uh, straightening me out on that, Gary. Oh, to straighten somebody out, Joe, you know what it means in organized crime? To straighten somebody out? Yeah, it means you become a made man. You got to whack somebody. Boy, you know how many times I'd be straightened out here at WABC? All the time. I take little notes. All right, this person I want to kill. This person I want to kill. This person doesn't appreciate the job. This person is running promos that are stale, oldie moldy. This is news from uh, uh, Frankie Diaz did a newscast from Christmas Eve. Overnight, Christmas Eve, I wanted to go to the neck and strangle him. I wanted to strangle his neck in Throg's neck in the Bronx. And they don't have it. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I show up Monday. I got a job. Hey, you know, just mailing it. No. Sorry. I'm a rat. As I told you, I'm more than happy to become the rat czar of the city of New York. Hey, Eric Adams, swagger man, no plan. You don't have to pay me a nickel, dime, or penny. I have no problems dealing with four-legged rats, but I am the biggest two-legged rat that has ever existed. I eat Parmesan cheese. So when I'm roaming the halls here at WABC, I'm ratting people out. By the way, later on, uh, because, again, Frank Morano is too busy shooting craps and testing uh, wine and cheese in Atlantic City where he'd rather be than here at WABC, I'm going to be talking about this big, huge article in the Wall Street Journal that says the era, 2022 is the era, era of narcissism and narcissists. And my wife, Nancy, who was here earlier, we do a, um, a family show every holiday for those who don't have their own family or friends around. And these 
what can be very depressing times, New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. She was walking around the hallways, and she goes, why do you guys have pictures of Sid everywhere with no shirt on? And I told her, because that is the definition of being a narcissist. Narcissistic. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. This should be the new theme song for uh, Sid Rosenberg. I'm too sexy for my shirt. As my wife uh, aptly pointed out, he's got pictures all over WABC in which he doesn't have a shirt on. That is one of the primary definitions of a narcissist complex. Of narcissism, or whatever the hell you say. Oh, by the way, uh, Bad Curtis, uh, I've been informed that Mark Stein, the broadcaster who comes on Tuesdays at 4.15 with uh, Bo Snurley has not been able to do so. Boy, bad curse. Apparently he's recovering from back-to-back heart attacks. Oh, man. I hope the best for him. He is a great broadcaster in his own rights. Bad Curtis. Bad Curtis. I'm going to have to go to confession now. I haven't been confessed to confession since I was a little boy going to uh, St. Matthew's uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church taught by the uh, Josephite nuns. So to all of those who have uh, corrected me on that, I am sorry and hope for a swift recovery. Bad courtesy were bad, 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 bad. Anyway, back to the phones we go. Our number is one 800 848 1-800-848-WABC. This would be a very good theme song whenever uh, Sid Rosenberg decides to come back since I and John Katsimatidis will once again have to do the morning show tomorrow. Is tomorrow a holiday? Can somebody check the calendar? Joe, is tomorrow a holiday? Uh, Carmine Carmelito is uh, tomorrow a holiday. Maybe Kevin Joe should some uh, bank. You know, in Europe, they have bank holidays. They have all kinds of holidays I never heard of. They come in on Tuesday. They go home on Thursday night. It's like, I thought, back to work, right? How come they roll off? Who gave them off? Do they not like this thing of ours? Uh, I mean, is it so stressful? Is it so difficult to do? Is it? Is it work? I've never known it to be work in 35 years. I know what work is. This is not work. Oh, this is not work. There are people listening to us right now who are working hard. And you know you're working hard when you can't wait to go to sleep. And I've had jobs where, believe it or not, Curtis Sleever, who almost never sleeps, boy, you'd have to wake me up. I I dreaded getting up because I hated my job. This is not work. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the new theme song for Sid Rosenberg, Peacock. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Can we, uh, where's Kevin Josh? Could you get Kevin Josh in here again? You know, I say, hey, producer, Kevin Josh uh, on the weekends. You know, John Ashcroft, when he was the uh, attorney general, 
for Bush 43. He was like uh, evangelical from Springfield, Missouri, and uh, they had the statues of Justice is Blind, and one of the statues was nude. And he took a drape at the Department of Justice, and he had it covered up. Can uh, we cover up Sid Rosenberg, you know, from the neck down? I mean, I'm really tired of looking at... My wife is right. I really had become oblivious to it. There's like five pictures of Sid where he's flexing and he's got no shirt on, and Kevin doesn't even want to deal with it. He's fled WABC. Nobody wants to take on Sid the Peacock who uh, has, like, so many of us here on Talk Radio, a narcissistic complex. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, uh, to uh, Mark, who's calling from Greenwood Lake. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Hey, how are you, Curtis? Pleasure to talk to you. Now, where is Greenwood Lake? It's up the Hudson Valley, in other words, up the Hudson River. If you are on the northern border of New Jersey, it's dead center east to west. Wow. So 50 50 miles from the GW. Okay, so right up the Palisades Parkway. Well, well, further than than that, further north. But anyway, that's the right direction. All right, so if I'm going towards West Point, I'll eventually get to you. Well, you got to head westerly. Yeah, no, but remember, I never was a Boy Scout or Cub Scout. I never had a compass. If it, if it isn't a subway, I'll get lost. Subway, I know how to get there, but let's face it. That's it. You know, up there, 205th Street, uh, end of the uh, A train, end of the 1 train, up there by Manhattan College, it's over. I, I'll never be able to get to you. I hear you. I'm good with the compass in the woods. I was a Boy Scout, but I'd get lost in those subways every time. Now, let me ask you a question, Mark, since you brought up the Boy Scouts, uh, Cub Scouts. Those adult supervisors, you know, the men, why do they have them wearing those stupid shorts? They got gnarly legs, sometimes big bellies hanging out over the shirt. Why wouldn't they just put them in a pair of slacks? Well, in the summer, it gets pretty hot, you know. But you you would acknowledge, Mark, it looks pretty ridiculous. Some of these grown men with these shorts on. Uh, well, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Curtis, I don't have a single pair of shorts, so I agree with you. Yeah, put put slacks on. It's the same thing I say for UPS, uh, United Postal Service. You know, they wear the, the brownies there, the brownies. Put a pair of slacks on. Knock it off with the shorts. But go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Mark. I interfered with you. No problem. I was a, a an Eagle Boy Scout when I was 11 years old. So you're going back a long ways, you know, about, uh, I don't know, 55, 60 years ago. Now, question so anyway. question about that. Okay, so you're there, you're earning your badges, uh, yeah. you're setting arson fires, you're, you're burning old uh, barns down, you're learning how to tie knots so that you could tie up guys you wanted to beat up before you punch them out, right? Did they give you badges for that? No, no, I didn't have one of those. I had different ones like uh, raising chickens and, oh, God, I don't remember, so many years ago. But, no, no, I I have a fantastic respect for what I learned in the Boy Scouts. It was uh, very good, you know. Now, question, while you were raising the chickens and somebody came over uh, just to meet you and, you, you know, they say, and you said to them, would you like to stay for lunch they say, yeah, and you say, uh, they say, well, what's for lunch today? And you said, chicken salad. 
why don't you look at the chicken out there in the yard? Which one do you want? Did you ever say that, Mark? No, we raised our chickens for eggs and eggs only. Good, good, because, boy, that would have broke my wife's heart who's coming on at 11 o'clock. She would have wanted to clock you, Mark. Yeah, I hear you. I know she's a cat lover, just like me. Yeah, and in Pennsylvania, she keeps a stash of AK-47s. I'm a little afraid if I ever were to anger her too much, she might become Annie Oakley and just do me away. I hear you. Hey, anyway, <laughs> here's the reason I called. Yes. When you mentioned T's and Q's, I have uh, the story where that came from in terms of uh, legitimate linguistic studies. All right. Now, remember, we've had five people try it with five different answers as to where the term mind your P's and Q's or watch your P's and Q's came from. Go ahead. Okay. I didn't haven't heard them, but I'll tell you what I've heard. I have a book about it, about uh, maritime phrases and words that are in our language that are quite interesting. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. But anyway, P's and Q's refers to pints and quarts. What does that mean? When you're sitting at a bar in England, you drink a pint, you drink a quart. Watch your P's and Q's. Why? Because if you get drunkenly, and this is back when the English were sailing uh, square riggers, meaning sailboats, primitive sailboats relative to today, they would come along and thump you over the head and throw you in that boat, and you might be gone for five years working on the crew. Why did they do that? Because they had trouble making up crews. So watch your your P's and Q's so you don't get literally Shanghai. Uh, so uh, my father, who actually was in uh, China before it became Red China, he sailed to China when it was uh, Shanghai Shek and the Nationalists. He said that that was the problem that seamen had. If they, oh, went, yeah. they went ashore, let's say Shanghai or anywhere else, the problem wasn't necessarily the gin mills. It was the opium dens. They would uh-huh. go into an opium den. They would pipe up some opium. They would knock them out. The next thing they know, they're on a ship with a different flag. And back then, the, the countries actually had their ship's flag. Now everything is Liberia or Panama. And you'd wake yeah. up, and all of a sudden you would see uh, the French flag and you would say, well, how the hell did I get on this ship? Well, you're in the, you're in the French uh, Merchant Mariners uh, now. You're a French Merchant Mariner for the next uh, eight months. Right, or, or longer. This, you know, this happened for sometime two or three years you'd be out to sea. So it was uh, something you wanted to watch out for. So know? now we have you marked definitively and not wearing your Boy Scout shorts. God, I don't understand why the Scoutmasters. For either the Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts would wear those shorts. I mean, I've seen them. Gnarly knees, right? Big bellies hanging out over their belt. Like, put a pair of slacks on, you know, get something else. Just doesn't look right. Anyway, let's go to John in Reno, Nevada. I call that the armpit of Nevada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis. Yes, Um, John. I want to... To talk about Pope Benedict's passing, uh, when Pope Benedict was Pope, he wrote a trilogy of books, and I bought the first one, and it's amazing how intelligent this man was. Um, you know, I had a scholarship to Tulsa University Law School. I went to Thomas Jefferson High School in Annandale, Virginia. Uh, I was an academic superstar, 
but I could not get through his book. It was at such a high level. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question, John. What, yeah. makes, what makes you think that Pope Benedict wrote that book by himself? Come on, think about this. Well, because he said he did. Oh, yeah, but, well, hold on, hold on. You realize how many books you buy in the open market, whether it's secular or religious, that were not written by the author or authoress, but was written by a ghost writer who got paid very well, uh, but you never found out that they or others were the collaborators who actually wrote the book. Some of the people that you listen to uh, who churn out books like every month, you say, how the hell could you be doing a TV show, a radio show, raising a family, and putting out like a, a book every few months, right? Like Bill O'Reilly. He is a ghostwriter. Well, no, he, no. To his credit, he gives full credit to his co-writer. He never said, I wrote this book alone, like some of our colleagues who say, oh, yeah, I, I churn out uh, like a book a month club. You know, like remember Oprah's book a month club? Yeah. No, no, I, I can assure you, Pope Benedict did not write that book, John. You don't think so? Man, didn't you ever see the old pictures of the monks with their quill pens writing? Yeah. Doing the copies before there was the Gutenberg Press? And let's see, you don't think he had a group of like 20 monks in there, you know, who, Trappist monks, they don't speak, and all they do is write and write and write old school style. You don't think they were the ones writing this, John? Maybe he did. I never thought about it. I just assumed he did. Well, don't, please, don't just, uh, John, if there's one thing I would hope this uh, program would do is don't believe propaganda. Do not believe propaganda. There are people who will tell you. It's like uh, you have Ted Cruz who says that he is the number one podcaster in uh, America, that in fact he had 50, what would he say, 50 million people listening to his podcast. Now, would you believe that nonsense? No. Of course, because you couldn't find five people who would want to listen to Ted Cruz. He's so self-indulgent. Yep. Don't believe the hype. If you ever heard that uh, that song by Chuck D, Public Enemy, right? Don't believe the hype. Pump Trump. Oh yeah, don't believe his hype. Obviously, you can't believe <laughs> you can't believe Joe Biden because every time he tells a story. But I will tell you this about Pope Benedict. Uh, and you know, my mother would say, Curtis, if you don't have anything nice to say about the dead, don't say it. Why the hell did they ever pick this guy as the Pope? First of all, he was Nazi boy there in Germany. He was aiming the ACAC guns up at the uh, airplanes coming in from the United States and Britain trying to end the war. Uh, he was not a likable person at all. He covered up the pedophilia as much as any previous Pope. I got nothing nice to say about this guy, John. Really? Well, I had trouble with his book. His book was a very high-level book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, John, you keep believing he wrote the book, right? Maybe because he was infallible, Jesus was talking to him while he was writing. As you know, they would tell me, the Pope is infallible. No, he's not. Curtis, the Pope is infallible. I'm sorry. There's nobody who's infallible. Jesus speaks through the Pope. No, he does not. Do you believe that? And whatever happened to limbo? I still can't get a straight answer. All those babies who ended up dying before they were baptized, before they were christened. 
Where did they go? We were told years ago, we'll read your Baltimore catechism. You're a good Catholic boy. Where did they go? How do you answer that on the question? Okay, we have heaven. Okay, heaven. We've got purgatory. That's warm. That's not hot. That's warm. And then there's hell. That's real hot. That's like being in a furnace in perpetuity. But father, father, where, where, where did the babies go who, who weren't baptized and christened? Well, they go to a very special place, Curtis. It's called limbo. Then four years later, uh, what happened to limbo? It like got eliminated from the list. Now it's only three. It's heaven, it's purgatory, and hell. Where, where, shh, quiet. You asked too many questions. Uh, did you just eliminate it? Did, was this, did God create that, or was it created by humans who are fallible and subject to changing their minds? Are you challenging the infallibility of the Pope? Yes, I am. Because no man, no woman is infallible. <gasps> Excommunication! Yeah, get out of here. You need every parishioner you can get. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Pope Benedict wrote, oh, yeah, he stood there with the cool pen. He said, oh, I'm writing a book. Yeah, we're like... Uh, 20 other indentured servants who were doing all the work and uh, providing all the text, I might add. Let's go to Jack, who's calling from New York. Uh, Finally, maybe he'll answer the question that I started the program with. What does mind your P's and Q's mean? We've been told that for decades, Jack. I'll tell you exactly. goes back to colonial times. Men would sit in taverns drinking for hours like in France's tavern, and the boss would tell the waitress who brought you your drinks to make sure you know how much they drank when it came time to pay. So they would say, mind your P's and Q's, meaning mind your pints and quarts, to make sure you charge them the right amount of money. Now, Jack, you've been re- listening to this program. You've heard a lot of different explanations for a term that we were we were born and raised with, right? Correct. How is it that so many educated men and women, because you are educated when you listen to talk radio, it stimulates the mind. How is it that so many men and women can come up with so many different explanations of what mind your P's and Q's mean? Well, because we're not all educated. We all have and hear different stories about the same thing. Jack, Same is true in politics and everything else. Jack, if McCarthy survives uh, the Republicans who are eating their own babies and actually become Speaker of the House, I am going to ask him to put together a commission, not just on the study of where we got these statements like mind your P's and Q's, but I've already mentioned on this program probably about 20 of these euphemisms over the years, and many times people struggle. They repeat it over and over like parrots. But they have no idea why they repeat it. I'm going to start doing that on a, a regular basis for all of you. Is I'm going to go through all the phrases that we were raised with that we never thought, gave two seconds to think about. Why are we saying that? Well, you know, we heard our uncle say it or our aunt say it or a friend say it. Anyway, up next, uh, boy, this is the Daily Double for Nancy. She's coming back after a great two hours, three to five today as we connected with so many people on this holiday, January 1st, uh, who are shut-ins, who had no one uh, of their own uh, in what is the most depressing holiday of all. 
Uh, I hate to, to indicate what the stats are, but there are more suicides on January 1st than almost any other holiday of the year because everyone is celebrating. The ball is dropping. People are getting drunk. They're raising the roof. They're partying. And yet so many people are just left on the sidelines. And that's what we do here at WABC. We never leave you on the sidelines. We never put you up on the shelf. It's 24-7-365. And uh, apologies are in order. Boy, boy, did I really, I really commit a radio faux pas in thinking that Mark Stein was avoiding coming on with Bo Snurley. Now I've been informed uh, through our crackerjack staff here uh, that's taking in your calls and handling your messages that, in fact, unfortunately, he has suffered two heart attacks. Uh, we wish him a quick recovery. And as I said, <laughs> it's the only thing I said uh, decent in that was he is a good broadcaster. Uh, we welcome his return <laughs> because he does give you a lot of belly laughs. And then remember tonight, it's Dominic Carter at 12 after the animal welfare report. Then he's on till 3 in the morning because uh, Frank Morano is again missing in action with his crew. And then I come back from 3 to 5 because Frank Morano is missing in action. And then I come on with John Katsimatidis from 6 to 10 because Sid Rosenberg is missing in action. Holidays are over, fellas. Time to come back to work. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Well, so nice, uh, Nancy, you get to do it twice today. Our family two-hour extravaganza, as we do every holiday now, for all those who don't have family or friends to be with on New Year's, uh, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, and Easter. And first, uh, how is Low Key doing? Low Key, welcomed in the new year here on our live and local program, WABC, as we counted the ball coming down with our owner-operator who is in studio, John and Margot Katsimatidis, uh, Rita Cosby, uh, Nancy, myself, uh, and uh, Low Key, <laughs> the youngest of the many rescue cats. We call them the runt of the litter. How, how did she uh, survive that trauma? Oh, well, you know, she's recovering okay now. I mean, it's tough for them, though, because that's not their their nature to really just go out and uh, be thrown into the mix and, you know, just be, you know, they they need some time to to get accustomed to a place. so. So when you brought her back to the lair, to the apartment, how did the other cats uh, greet her? Well, actually, they were they were pretty okay. They didn't they didn't treat her too differently. So, yeah, they, they didn't really notice. Like when we bring the cats to the vets and they do something where, like, the vets handling them, or maybe they have to get like a shot, or they're cleaned up in some sort like way. That's when the cats will be like kind of aggressive and and like not recognize almost who the cat is who's coming home. 
Why is that? I mean, I've seen cats that you brought mm-hmm. to the vet, whether to get fixed or to get a medical treatment because they had a malady. They come back. It's not like they're staying a long time at the vet. The same cat that you took out the door in the morning, you bring back at night, and now the other cats who were playing with them uh, 24 hours before are hissing at them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, because a lot of their sense is based on smell. So right away, you know, it's not like, oh, well, you look the same, so you're the same cat. It's the the scent. So the scent's preceding them, and the scent is different. So, you know, that they that's what really they're going by. And so it could just be a different cat. So, again, you know, and, and again, we have a couple that look similar to each other. So, again, I don't really think that's the main way in which they, they judge each other by, by observation visually. But they didn't do that to Lowkey. They embraced Lowkey back into the colony. Yes, definitely. Yes. E- excellent. Now... Number one question I've been asked all week, and I don't, I can't even fathom it. I thought maybe it was just the name of a new strain of flu, because as you know, we've been clobbered with continued COVID-19, RSV, and flu. Uh, the warnings are out, dog flu, dog food, dog flu. I didn't know if it affects canines or if it's a name for a flu that's affecting humans. You're up on this. Can you explain this massive uh, sort of uh, flu that is uh, uh, sweeping the nation that is affecting dogs? Well, yeah, so it's, uh, specifically there's nine states that are included. Uh, New York and Pennsylvania are two of them where dog flu is on the rise. So this is, um, you know, uh, a flu that's specific to dogs and it, it's represented by two different strains. So it's uh, two varieties of uh, flu that a dog can get. Um, now, the way in which they're getting them is, uh, you know, it's not 100% clear. Um, you know, more or less you get it from another infected dog, and you would, that would happen in close proximity. So uh, the suggestion is if you're having the dog uh, stay at, so, and, you know, one of the things is that because people are going on, uh, vacations more now that the travel restrictions have been lifted. Uh, something that could explain it is people are tending to board their dogs more often, so they're coming into close proximity with other dogs. Now, this would also be at something like a dog park. Um, the the remedy <clears throat> for this is, I mean, now once the, the dog is diagnosed with the flu, <clears throat> it doesn't seem as though there's much that they can do aside from, I mean, as far as what I'm seeing so far, it doesn't seem that they can do much from caring for the symptoms that they're having. Um, so it's really more of a preemptive thing that they're suggesting uh, for, you know, dogs that would be considered at high risk. So, again, like dogs that are coming into close proximity with other dogs um, who may, you know, be infected with anything. So, uh, you know, coughing, runny nose, watery eyes, fatigue, fever, almost like, um, you know, in a way like uh, visually maybe mimics uh, what a human would have if they had um, a cold or a flu. So that's how you might know if the dog had it. But unfortunately, um, because there was this increase of this diagnosis, it caused a number of shelters in these states to um, stop adopting the dogs out, like basically to close the uh, shelter adoptions for the dogs because of this outbreak, so to speak, of the flu. So it's been bad news for shelter dogs in these states. Do they sneeze like a human? <clears throat> Well, well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, in a sense, I mean, I, you know, it's 
I guess it's the dog version of it, but yeah, it would be the equivalent of, of um, yeah, sneezing. But you know, you could tell also uh, with a dog, right? Because if they have like the wet nose, right? So the runny nose, um, uh, watery eyes, uh, and then you know, lethargic, tired, right? So if the dog is not as active as it was before, so there's tests to do. Um, and I again, I guess the suggestion is. You know, maybe that this is going to be helpful. Now, again, but I think there's, unfortunately, there's a very little information so far on how helpful these things might be because they're talking about these two strains. And one of the strains originated in horses and then somehow spread to greyhounds. Another is the other strain. This is really weird. It started off in birds. Then it was found in dogs in South Korea. And now it's found here. So, you know, again, this level of interconnectedness you know, when something happens in one country, I mean, these animals are being sold for varieties of purposes, food, water, research, whatever they're getting here. So if something bad is going on in another country with the animals, it will work its way here at some point. Well, so we're in the middle of flu season here. In addition to having COVID-19 continue and RSV, respiratory uh, problems, let's say you go to uh, CVS or Walgreens or Dwayne Reed or Right aid, better go to right aid quick because they're closing down because of all the uh, shoplifting and pilferage. <laughs> uh, if you, you know, humans still grab all the NyQuil they can get into their basket or the DayQuil, they, they don't recommend giving, like, dogs NyQuil or DayQuil. No, no they definitely do not recommend doing that. Um, and and can, so... other, can a dog catch dog flu from another dog? Well, so that's the thing, right? So that's... Um... You know that's where the uh, like the infection comes from potentially. It's within like the droplets, so shared water bowls, uh, food bowl, shared uses of uh, usage of toys. So if um, a dog within a household were to have it, right, that would be um, the logic for quarantining the dog. Or if you have a singular dog, you're not going to bring that dog in close proximity to other dogs because it could get it. But see, this is the reason why it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense with the shelter dogs, right? Oh, we're going to close it down because, you know, if these dogs have, you know, this. Well, if the dog is being treated, I mean, again, if it's a single dog in a home, I mean, there's no reason to think. And it, it has a certain amount of weeks um, that it needs to go through. So, again, unfortunately, that got looped into it. Um, it they can't give this type of flu to humans, but uh, potentially, supposedly, they could give it to cats, although it's not highly likely. So only cats are potentially um, at risk. So there are a lot of people listening now who have both dogs and cats uh, that they raise together. Uh, so that's a potential. But what about to the adult themselves, to the human or the children or grandchildren? Could- well, no, this is, yeah, no, this doesn't have, um, you know, it, it doesn't uh, infect. So uh, it, this isn't infecting people. So, again, this, would, this is something specific to dogs that doesn't transmit to people. Um, you know, and again, I think people can, uh, you know, get their dogs' uh, immunity down. They're susceptible to uh, people flu, but no, this is just specific to dogs. And why is it dogs don't merit having a fancy name on this flu? Why is it just called dog flu? <laughs> yeah, and actually, it's 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 even less fancy than that. It has like these um couple like little letter and number designations to it, H uh, three something. Yeah, nothing that you would possibly know what it is, but if they just use the originating source, it would be, um, let's see, yeah, horse and bird flu 
It's kind of what it is. It's varieties of those. Horse and bird flu. So now that you've complicated this, I thought it pretty much <laughs> they couldn't transmit. They could transmit this to Mr. Ed or to birds? Well, yeah, and there you go. And that's the thing. So, you know, the, the conversation, obviously, is within the vacuum of the the pet, the household, the normal interactions that people have, because everything's people-centered. Oh, our interactions with the dogs. But, yeah, these came from horses in the first place and then birds, and then it was in South Korea. So, again, there's a lot of animals that are affected by this. So Um, is this, uh, with all the bird flu we've seen, they've slaughtered hundreds of thousands of birds, obviously, that are kept kept in these... um, uh, these uh, farming-style industrial complexes so that we can have chicken or you, you can have uh, a goose or, or a duck or turkey. Uh, is that also one of the reasons that it it, it, it spreads uh, to flocks? You know what? And, and again, I, um, um, part of that, I think, is really the fault of, uh, you know, government bailouts, really, is what this comes down to because – you, there are some animals where, you know, they have a small percentage that are tested, uh, testing positive for these new variants of things, right? So, again, it's not even um, a for sure uh, protocol they have set up to know how they can handle it. But because they get uh, the ability to get a claim from the government, uh, it's like 80 percent of market rate of what they would be selling. It's easier for them to just cull the herd than a nice way of saying just kill everything. Instead of having to do, I mean, think about it. You have the ability to do some extensive testing and see, okay, how much is affected. You know, there could be some research done here. Instead, they're just killing them because they're getting paid, um, like, for these uh, claims, like these insurance claims. So, I mean, that's a problem. They don't have to really show that they're being diagnosed in any great level. And I think that's been um, helpful, this sort of, like, fear that they're able to spread into all these uh, different uh, food sources, uh, contamination, but there's no proof that they have to put forward. You know, that there's no there's no way to check. Oh, is this legitimate? See, that's a problem. So, because this complete lack of transparency, it's hard to tell how much of flocks really are being infected at all, at all with any of these things. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. Whatever animal related question or statement you have, feel free to give a call. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's exclusive here to WABC. Uh, earlier in this past week, uh, Nancy, when uh, John Katzmatidis and I were substituting for Sid Rosenberg, as we will, and just uh, well, from six to ten in the morning. We had on um, an expert from the Humane Society who shocked John when she said that there are about 3,000 dogs that get euthanized each year in America and 3,000 cats for no specific reasons. It's not like, you know, they're, they're dying or they're in hospice or they have an incurable disease. They just get slaughtered, destroyed, because uh, the shelters uh, turn into an assembly line. He was shocked, and I think that really draws home the point that we are killing unnecessarily 6,000 dogs and cats each and every year simply because the shelter uh, has a quota. Uh, They can't adopt them out or they can't foster them out, so let's just destroy them. Well, yeah, and and in terms of the the numbers related to that, so 
Um, it, you know, that could be just in reference to the ones that are, you know, technically healthy and adoptable because, you know, that's always the outrage, right? Um, the shelters get away with this very um, lackluster approach to uh, getting these animals adopted, fixed, um, you know, making sure the population isn't out of control by, you know, having uh, complete control over, like, which animals that they can euthanize for whatever reason. But they still get caught up on, um, you know, killing otherwise healthy adoptable animals. And that's it, it's nothing more than just being lazy. But so across the shelters, so now this includes the ones that they, they're categorizing as unadoptable for whatever variety of reasons. So it's 1.5 million shelter animals that are euthanized each year. So there's the majority of them are cats, right? Um, because, you know, I think it's just more, more cats are uh, taken in. So almost a million cats are killed every year. Uh, 45% of the cats that enter the shelter are euthanized before they're relinquished. This is throughout the United States. And then almost 100% of the feral cats that are brought in are euthanized because they're never considered adoptable. So that's the reason why you don't want to really bring in a feral cat. They're never going to get out of there. Um, uh, you know, they're just not going to be considered adoptable. So the numbers become really objectionable when you look at just how many they're killing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And while we were sitting here counting down uh, as the ball brought in the new year, we were doing our live and local broadcast. You were here with uh, the runt of the uh, litter of the 18 rescue cats. Uh, that was uh, low-key. Rita mm-hmm. Cosby was here. John and Margot were here. And then afterwards we started talking about John Katsimatidis' first cat at his first store, which I believe was up in Washington Heights, named Meeps. He has a picture of Meeps. And Meeps had progeny 186 kittens that Meeps brought into the world. And what he did was, and his store managers, they adopted them out to customers. Thereby, they didn't have to be euthanized. They didn't have to be released out into the streets. And this sort of reminded us of what the cat cafes do, where they actually end up adopting out more cats, unwanted cats, than even the shelters do. Yeah, I mean, and and just look at this example, right? It's one person who has that much of a direct impact in interacting, interfacing with the public. And that one person, so that just shows you how big a difference one person can make. You know, uh, I saw a picture that will shock a lot of people earlier today. I shared it with you. Apparently somebody was swimming in the surf or or were surfing, and there was a a shark on shore that was struggling. They they couldn't get back into the water. And I watched this video, and this young man picked up the shark in its hands, cradled the shark, and brought the shark back, put it in the water, and the shark swam away. Now, most people would say, Nancy, that's crazy. I'm not going to be cradling a shark and putting it back in the water. What is it that people need to know about sharks? Well, yeah, and, and actually this guy, he I believe he's like almost uh, close to 50 years old. So he lived in the area, and he's been uh, surfing at that beach for, you know, several decades. And he said rarely is there uh, shark sightings, but it's never been anything that was – any aggressive interactions. So when he saw the uh, shark initially, he tried to just sort of kick it back into the water, but it wasn't catching. But he didn't think twice about, 
you picking it up to, uh, you know, like sort of hold it to, to carry it out a little further because he has interacted with them for so long. So, I mean, you know, again, his, his experience and what he was trying to relay is that, um, you know, there's, there's so many uh, shark sightings going on right now, specifically in the area where he's at, like South Wales. And this is because they have drones. So you have these companies that are employed with the drones where they're just you're having uh, shark sightings. So now there's so many more sightings. So the sightings themselves become the alarm, right? We see more now. So ergo, it's a bad thing. They're, they're not really saying they're attacking people. There's no increase in violence. There's nothing happening. But the very sight of them is causing, um, you know, people to get concerned. But he's just, you know, he's an example of how people interact when they do live there. And they do go onto the beaches. He had no fear of, of the shark whatsoever. None. He just cradles the shark in his arms the way you would cradle, let's say, a dog if you are carrying a dog. And he goes back into the water and releases the shark, who obviously had lost its, uh, I guess you can say, its uh, its boundaries, and then just swam away. And that leads us to an even bigger story. Because last week, Steven Spielberg apologized to the worldwide shark population because he claims that when he made that 1975 blockbuster movie Jaws and then Jaws 2, that it led to a massive destruction of the shark population, a feeding frenzy, he called it. And he said it was really all because we created this man-eating great white shark devouring New England Island residents, which really didn't exist. And he apologized to the shark community. Well, hopefully he uh, he did more than that. Hopefully he actually is, like, funding some sort of, uh, uh, you know, protection of their environment or something because yeah i mean let, let's face it he didn't make flipper i mean he knew what he was doing he knew it was gonna maybe he didn't realize the extent to which it was going to cause the damage but i mean people are constantly afraid of the unknown and certainly animals right you can't communicate with them directly so you just interpret their behavior so yeah he he pretty much did a bad thing by putting those things together yeah and to this day people believe when they see a shark and a shark is going to immediately move in your direction and try to consume you, bite you, uh, leave you uh, struggling in the water if you don't just bleed out. Now, thank God, long live Dr. Fauci is out of office. He's gone. At least we think he's gone. And uh, we discussed here on the Animal Welfare Hour how he had outsourced experiments on dozens of beetles to the third world country of Tunisia which uh, they ended up torturing the beetles by putting them on a gurney, putting them in a head collar, and then yeah. releasing sand fleas who ate the skin off their skulls. Uh, yes, Horrible torture, horrible death. Never got an explanation of why other than uh, uh, you got to be like a, a sadist. And now mm-hmm. we see that his same organization, the National Institute of Health, gave millions to researchers who are accused of a vaccine development scam. Can you explain that? Um, Okay, so uh, National Institute of Health, they fund research to um, a conglomerate of uh, consortium of companies that are based in Colombia, owned by a couple, uh, Socrates and Miriam Herrera. 
So they own these companies. Supposedly, they're doing legitimate research uh, trying to develop a, a vaccine for malaria. But the people who are working on the inside are saying there's actually no scientific research being done um, whatsoever. So they started to, um, you know, expose this place and, you know, they received $17 million in funding. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why this thing has, um, you know, gone under the radar for so long is because when uh, when research is done in the United States, uh, you know, as bad as it is, there's still minimum requirements uh, where they're doing annual inspections. And if there's anything um, incorrect or the animals are being abused or there's no legitimate research, these things would be reported and then the funding would be pulled. When they uh, fund this research in countries, foreign countries, uh, those requirements don't apply. So they're not going to have any oversight. So in, in 2022, they funded 700 grants, uh, over $200 million to foreign companies. So again, this is money that they'll, they're not able to track whatsoever. They're, they can't over, have any oversight whatsoever about this. And okay, it's to the point where they weren't even keeping any, any medical records about these testing that they're doing. So this is a problem. And the only recourse left to these uh, people who were exposing, because again, it, it really came down to exposing the abuse against the animals, which is that you know they're being kept uh, no windows, no airflow, um, you know, like uh, a big population in a small cage. Like so, they're really, they really it was brought forward because of the animal abuse. The funding by the U.S. government is a secondary story, but their only recourse because they can't go to. Uh, the U.S. government, because they don't have this protocol in place, is that they have to report it to the Colombian AG. So surprise, surprise, no charges were filed. It's okay. <laughs> so now that's the problem. They get the funding, and unless it gets pulled, um, this will just continue to happen. So they, they, they shouldn't be able to, to outsource any of this type of animal testing because this is exactly what's going to happen every time. Well, there's one thing that we have to impose, we're going to have to lobby for this, Nancy, along with other animal lovers, is that with the demise of Fauci, thank God he's gone. Yes, thank God. Uh, since Ronald Reagan was president, he's been there. Uh, mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how often they outsource the torture of animals, supposedly for experimental reasons that uh, would lead to cures, you know, for baldness, for impotency or whatever the, the nonsense they said. Why, no, and this is, yeah, I'm why they were outsourcing it to third world countries that they knew had no standards that would torture these animals and for what reason and force him. Now, you know, the whole focus now is the Republicans will be in power. They hate Fauci, but yeah. they'll never call him up to the hill to explain animal experiment, uh, experimentation and torture in foreign countries that we supported. They'll, they'll be like, oh, the Wuhan, why, why did you send money to their biological weapons uh, lab? They'll never deal with this issue, which apparently is systemic. We do this all over the world. We, we, we outsource our tax dollars to laboratories in third world countries because we know they can do things that we're not permitted to do all in the name of science. And, you know, it's nothing more than torture. Yeah, I mean, and if, and if it was done here, it would be protested against and it wouldn't occur. And, and the complete lack of any medical evidence, see, that's the problem. 
it's not even that they're doing something that's, you know, since we've spoken about this before in a number of ways, the fact that this funding continues to exist and the money continues to go to them, no matter what, they have a certain amount to be allotted. And there's, you know, apparently it doesn't matter, you know, what the, you know, if there's any efficacy in their testing. So it's a problem. This is where the funding needs to get pulled from them because they're being irresponsible with it. So minimum, you shouldn't be funding anything to any of these um, foreign testing agencies. That's a very easy solution. I mean, you don't have to think about that one long, but, you know, it should be done immediately. You know, not one of these things that takes a committee and we got to talk about it and let's vote on it five years from now. Like, that's an easy solution today that can happen. Now, a lot of people do realize now, because we've done a few programs here in the Animal Welfare Hour, where I've related to them that your nickname is Lone Wolf and that you love wolves. And I see there was this huge article in the Wall Street Journal in which they tracked this lone gray wolf's journey. Uh, and it gave us some insight on how the wolves live because they have mates. They mate for life. And they have a lot of human characteristics. Yeah, this um, so uh, this is uh, studies of wolves that live in the Minnesota area. Uh, I think this is an example of sort of responsible um, you know, observation of animals, right? So it's not aggressive testing. It's just looking at animals uh, within their natural environment. What they're trying to do, uh, they also have uh, like GPS uh, things attached to uh, one to two members of 16 established colonies that they have of these wolf packs. So they're monitoring them. They're seeing, uh, you know, where they travel to, um, able to see like their eating uh, patterns, uh, you know, procreating patterns, things like that. But so what happened was there was, you know, like a lot of fear. So, so again, a, you know, the, a lot of fear previously that these were very aggressive, threatening animals. So they were overhunted to the point of um, almost being completely ex- extinct and were declared endangered at the, the end of the 70s. So now the population's been increasing and... You know, so now, you know, it's there, at least in that area, they're fine. But uh, I think what was really uh, very telling about what, you know, these, these studies have shown, they do have in a, the impact. So it says that in the park where the wolves live, uh, the population, it's thrived since the 80s without them overrunning the landscape or throwing the ecosystem off balance. So, again, they, the, the population stabilized where it should be. And they they just letting them be. So again, they're not directly intervening right here. They're just allowing the population to be unfettered, and also you know monitoring them. So you know this is why you don't necessarily need to get involved all the time with these you know hunt like what they're trying to do in New Jersey. Oh, let's hunt the bears. It's not going to work. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just you know it's better just to sort of monitor where they're going, what's going on, because we do coexist with them. So it would be easier because we can work with the fact that they're already there. And while we're doing that, what we should be doing is doing everything to make sure that they're, um, you know, not having, you know, excessive amounts of uh, babies. Like, that's that's the whole goal of everything. You want to spay and neuter as much as possible. You want to do things that are going to keep the population down on its own. That will alleviate all of these problems. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. When we return to the Animal Welfare Hour, We'll be taking your calls in terms of whatever it is that's on your mind. The Curtis Lewa Show presents 
Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Okay, Nancy, to the phones we go. It's uh, Jack who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. How are you, Curtis and Nancy? Just a quick correction. When you spoke to the individual at the Humane Society, they said it was $3 million or 3 million cats that were euthanized. That is correct. Uh, t- uh, what? No, no, I think Nancy was referring to... Uh, no, I think he was saying what you were saying. You said 3,000, right. remember? Correct. Yeah, no, no. So, so yeah, so it's more than that. Um, so, yeah. Right. yeah 3 million it. of each, right. Mm-hmm. But see, uh, Jack, you got your your radio on. It's doing reverb. It's like you're dribbling uh, between Nancy and myself. It's rebounding off the uh, arena floor to the uh, arena <laughs> arena yeah. roof. Uh, but uh, we, w- it's clear the Humane Society has said that three million dogs get euthanized each year, and not for any specific reason other than they're alive. And uh, three million cats get euthanized. Correct. Right. They were blaming uh, puppy mills, of course, for a lot of this. They were also saying that a lot of people give up the dogs when they can't afford to either uh, get them fixed with the veterinarians and so forth and so on. Well, I think that's the danger, Jack, in that people have been conditioned that if they surrender their dog or cat or other animal to a shelter, that they are going to try to find them the home of their own. And that's not always the case. So if you're planning on surrendering your dog and cat, try to find somebody else who will care for them. I can understand you might be going into the hospital, you have an illness, you can't afford the feeding or the medication necessary or the vet trips. But the last thing you should ever do is surrender your animal, who I'm assuming is a friend and a member of your family, to a shelter because that would be similar to when – a coronavirus first hit, Nancy, if you remember, in March of 2020, and we saw the hospitals overloaded, and people were bringing their loved ones into the emergency rooms, and then 80% of them were dying because they would be put on ventilators and they would die. He's like, you don't do that. You don't, you don't surrender your dog or your cat to a shelter unless you absolutely have no choice whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, and and more options should be available, and and not just uh, available. Oh, you can hunt them out and and figure it out. Uh, this this needs to be done more aggressively. I mean, the reason why the city uh, is getting is is basically doling out almost twenty million per year to the city shelters to take care of the animals, and there's an overpopulation problem. They need to be taking out their spay and neuter vehicles. And driving them and keeping them stationary and putting up signs and telling people, you have to just do that for free because that's how you save the money afterwards, which is really what's happening. Absolutely. Just, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and they have them. And then after they have a few litters or a few puppies and then they don't want them anymore, it takes them a while before they realize, oh, I can't sustain this constant litters. And then by then there's already like 15 dogs or cats out there, and they're just relinquishing one. Meanwhile, there's 15 more out there. And it's not good for the female pet because she can only have so many litters before it just saps the energy out of her, causes her to have medical issues, and causes her an unnecessary early death. 
Let's go to Pat in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Pat. Nancy, how are you? Good. I've been dying to talk to you. My uh, son-in-law worked at Jacoby Hospital 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, at all those sites, when they're putting up a building, there are a lot of cats. Yeah. So he uh, he would have all the construction workers bring in food for them, uh, <laughs> you know, the next day when they come in and all like that. And they'd come over and feed them. So yeah. the, uh, after a month or so, uh, the super comes and says, you know, Bennett, uh I hate to tell you this, but the exterminator is coming around in a couple of days. He uh, says, could you, could you put them off just for a couple of days? I'll work something out. He yeah. calls my daughter on the phone, and he says, oh, listen, they're going to exter-. She says, well, do what you feel like doing, Bennett, like that. They went out that night with the biggest cage they could find. <laughs> he brings it to work the next day. He puts the mother cat in, and he puts five of her babies in. Yeah. And he gets most of the construction workers to take one or two home. Oh, that's funny. Like that. And uh, my daughter, had, uh, she took them from there, you know, from the job. He took them right to the vet up in yeah. Putnam, Putnam County. And they yeah. were defleed and you name it. Oh, I don't know what it cost you, but yeah. she was, my daughter loves cats. She has two Siberians now. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because she has to be careful with the breathing and all, well, that, and she's allergic. That is but, uh, that is good news, Pat. People who care about cats who don't just walk away. We heard a horrible story earlier in the day, Nancy, uh, between 3 and 5, when we were connecting with a lot of people who were shut-ins or had no family of their own or no friends to bring in the new year. And a woman from Brooklyn told us she had been uh, raised out in Australia. I think it was Melbourne. Mm. And she told us she had uh, cats that she would come home to every day from school, a mother and about a total of, what, 10 or 12 kittens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then apparently the landlord gathered them all together, put them uh, in a sack, uh, yeah. mm. and drowned them. Yes, yes. Because he thought that was the right thing to do. And there are a lot of people, especially immigrants, where they were raised, especially in third world countries where they believe that cats spread disease and dogs. And and do you recall how old um, the age of that woman? Um, uh, She calls regularly. uh, So I would say probably in her 40s or 50s. Okay. Well, yes. And and she she was talking about this. And she's the way she speaks about it. She's still traumatized by it, and that's you know this is another reason too why speaking about animal abuse, it's very important to you know, call that out and to make sure you don't allow people to abuse animals because when children are growing up in households and they're witnessing this and they know that it's wrong but they can't do anything about it, I mean these kids are being traumatized. So there's a reason to get proactively involved, oh, no, I'm not going to take, oh, that's that's their pet, oh, I don't care. No. What do you think these kids are seeing? And, you know, and again, this this is going to develop issues with them growing up too, right? I can't, oh, I can't defend my pet. Oh, I love my dog. My daddy's kicking. Like, you, I mean, th- this is important. These are important issues in society we need to address. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. We uh, see there's this ongoing discussion about how young men in prison or in jails, how many of them are dyslexic. So we have Mayor Eric Adams and Jumani Williams, a public advocate, are saying, oh, about 60% of them are dyslexic. That may well be. But they're not dealing with the bigger issue of what leads to violence. You talk to uh, young men, as I have, who are doing long-time uh, sentences of, of, and I say long time because nowadays two years is considered a long time, two, four, five for serious assault, attempted murder, murder, you go to death row, mm-hmm. and you have conversations with them and you learn certain things. Okay, a lot of them can't read or write. Yes, a lot of them are dyslexic. But a lot of them started by torturing animals. People mm-hmm. knew about it, mm-hmm. didn't do anything about it, yeah. and it escalated from animals to family members to workers to strangers until the point where they became a total psychotic killer that had almost to be put down. When we had a death penalty, they'd be put down. Here would be they'd be in Sing Sing, Ossining, and they'd have to fire up old Sparky. They don't do it anymore in New York State or New Jersey or most states. But uh, I mean, and, and we consider ourselves to be so pr- progressive, and yet that question is never addressed. Why did a person do this? Why are they doing this? Well, because That's we're, the most important we're, question to we're, ask. we're always looking for human characteristics, never those that involve animals. And again, I can't say it enough. But Mahatma Gandhi, who's looked upon as being global, his influence, which it is, even in death. And he said time and time again, he said, a society that does not take care of its animals will not take care of its people. And all you have to do is look at 2023, our first day of the new year. And in walking around today, I saw emotionally disturbed. I saw homeless. I saw them in the subways. Uh, I mean, just relegated to wallowing yeah. around in their own yeah. urine and and, yeah. and defecation and mumbling. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. then obviously we don't take care of them and we're not yeah. taking care of animals. It's almost like what Gandhi said so many years ago is true to this day. As enlightened and as advanced as we think we are as a first world society, he was right. It's totally right, and we need to really look at that. Let's go to Heather, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Heather. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. Love your show. Yes, Heather. Um, so I was calling. I'm not sure if you know you guys want to talk about this on the radio or not, but I was curious what your take is on bestiality. If that's something that you, as, like, animal people, frown upon or have any opinion on? Well, I, I, yeah, can, I, I would say yes, frown upon it. Yeah, I can speak to it. Um, uh, in the uh, arena of raising horses, horse racing horses, uh, there have been people found in the barns who are having sex with the thoroughbred horses. It happens on farms. It happens uh, in people's homes with their domestic uh, animals, uh, with dogs and other animals. It's a horror, and society does not at all uh, take uh, bestiality seriously. Occasionally we'll see a case, Nancy, uh, like three guys who have been uh, busted for perpetually abusing pigs, cows, dogs. Um, And then you never hear about it again. It's like we don't want to talk about it. It's like incest. There are certain things in our society. Yeah. And, and there you go. That's another thing, too, right? Psychologically. I mean, it, 
there's there's no looking into well why is it that these people actually did it when in normal society no one would, no one would even think about that so Probably That's be, really we become very enlightened about no means no, sexual assault, uh, uh, actual rape, uh, and yet comes to animals. Well, you know, it's an animal. Yeah, this yeah. guy is a screwball. You know, he's yeah. or maybe maybe he was looking for love in all the wrong places. I've heard people yeah, but, say this, and I'm yeah, like, but then, yeah, but then again, this this guy also too. I mean, or these three young men. I mean, if they get married someday, they have children. I mean, you wouldn't want that person being around, a child, raising a child, having a child. I mean, maybe certain things should be off limits to the uh, gene pool going forward. Well, there needs to be an expose on people who have raised animals on farms, uh, those who have raised uh, horses, especially in the racing industry, because oftentimes a lot of people have access to cows, you know, and dairies, horses and thoroughbred farms. And you will hear the stories of bestiality. And in a lot of instances, they'll joke about it. And it's, hey, yeah, 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 you know, Fred over there, he wasn't able to find a woman, so that's his woman over there, Elsie the cow. <laughs> and I remember yeah. hearing that for the first time, and I say, oh, you think that's funny, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking at me like, I'm strange. And they say, well, <laughs> you know, what, what does it matter? You know, Freddie's pleasurizing himself. It's like, yeah, well, there's a way to pleasurize yourself, and you don't have to abuse an animal in order to do that. They yeah. have no consciousness. They're giggling like oh, a group of junior oh, wow. high school students. That's crazy. That's crazy. Absolutely. Anyway, let's take one more call here on the Animal Welfare Hour. It's uh, Michael who's calling from Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Hey, Curtis and, and Nancy. Uh, I love both of your shows. I listened to Curtis and, and Avery last night. You had me cracking up. <laughs> you guys were so funny, the thing on, on Frank. Uh, but I love, Nancy, what she's doing, uh, educating the public about the animals. I called once and I told you that I live in Pennsylvania in the woods, and I, I had all these, these strays. Well, my great-grandmother had 13 cats in her basement when I was living on her farm in New Jersey. And I wound up in the mountains in Pennsylvania in the Poconos, and I have a place, and I get a little bit of, little bit of backyard, and you know, the animals could run free, and they could lay yeah. on my deck. They never left my deck, and I told you I fed them. And Nancy said that's very admirable. You know, you're feeding them, and I, yes, and I did get the boy that I had in the best animal I ever had. I've had dogs, yeah. and this boy was like a little dog. He was a great cat. He was yeah. a Russian blue, and mm-hmm. he died on me. So. I kept feeding these cats, and somebody comes up on my deck in my property, and they they took all my cats. Oh, and God. I'm guessing they're front platers because nobody around here – I lived here around here for over 30 years. No one ever bothered my, my animals or me. Wait, or, and, this, and this was on your property? Yes. Wow. And Wait, I'm and who was it? I'm guessing they're front platers, newly arrived from New York, New Jersey, with the front plate, you know, in the car. I call them front platers. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, hey, look, Michael, Michael recently, and we threatened these people, uh, people were driving in from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania plates on vans, 
and scooping up the street pigeons and bringing them back to hunting lodges where they would normally uh, shoot clay pigeons. And then they would release the actual uh, city pigeons and the hunters would shoot them instead of the clay pigeons. And uh, we put out a threat. Well, I put out a threat. Uh, of what we would do uh, to them uh, with the guardian angels if we found them collecting the pigeons. You know, they were scooping them up with these big nets, and nobody was doing anything. They'd come in into our city, stealing our city pigeons to exactly. take them right to take them out to a, a lodge, a bird hunting lodge, where normally they would shoot clay pigeons, no problem, shotgun mm-hmm. clay pigeons. Yeah. But now the hunters were promising them. Oh, yeah, I'll give you money if you can get pigeons and we can shoot real pigeons instead of clay pigeons. And that pretty much stopped because uh, what we were prepared to do to them, I cannot say over the airwaves. Let's just say that those vehicles, uh, all the tires would have been punctured uh, and they would have had to find a different way back to Pennsylvania. Do I make myself clear on that? Old school remedies in defense of the street pigeons. I know a lot of them, people listening right now, say, oh, you should have let them. Take them all. Take all the street pigeons. That's a double oofah. Anyway, Nancy, if folks would like to continue to engage you in conversation on all animal welfare issues, how can they do so? Uh, Well, they can visit uh, guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, or they can email me directly, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. And you should be. I'm going to yeah. check on this because, you know, these deadbeats, these slackers here at WABC, you know, the people behind the scenes, oh, can I have another day off? Supposedly, <laughs> there's going to be a special podcast, or it's already up, okay, which is just on the animal welfare issues that we discuss each week. Oh, fantastic. You gave them a picture. What is the picture, Nancy? Um, well, let, let's see. Is that that's of you and me? Is it the cat shelter? Yes. Yes. yes, yes. So Good. that's um, the cat shelters that we made and distributed for cats during uh, the winter time. So if you go to WABCRadio.com, it should be listed there. There are a hell of a lot of podcasts listed. Uh, many they probably never get listened to. I don't know why they're there, but they are. But this one, I know people have asked me time and time again, oh, I want to share this. I want to share this. So go to WABCRadio.com, and for any reason, if it's not up, I will declare war against the uh, podcasting unit here, and I will make sure that it is remedied. So the next time, we're back with all of you next Sunday, same time, same place, every week, Sunday nights, 11 to 12. It is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa. And up next, animal lover extraordinaire himself, fresh in from Pomona in Rockland County, where it's so white out there, even the lawn jockeys are white. Dominic Carter. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I have one thing to say. You better work. Joey, he likes to keep the music down low here. You got to get into the flow with Curtis Lee. You got to pump. I want to hear those woofers and tweeters out there stimulating people so that they're not going to sleep because we have to take, when I say we, 
Dominic Carter, first, his normal show, 12 to 1, and then an extra two hours, like you've been doing all last week. And then I come on like a tag team. And you know, when, when, when are you going to sleep? Three to five. Be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. And then <laughs> I come back. I do six to seven on my own. And then John Katsimatidis comes in, as he did all last week, seven to ten. And I look around and I play this RuPaul song, You Gotta Work It, three snaps up. Do do you think the music is loud enough? Apparently, it's got to be louder because we have colleagues here who don't know that in five minutes, it's Monday, no more holiday, get your ass back into the studio. A bunch of Goldberg slackers and deadbeats. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I'm not touching that. Oh, I will. I'm not touching that. I will. We're number one, right? Yes. You know how hard it was to become number one? Very hard. It's harder to stay number one. Can, can we turn down the music, Curtis? Yeah, you can turn down, Joey, turn down the music here. <laughs> but I want to first compliment you, Dominic, because you've been doing double duty and... People have recognized what a really good talk show host you are. Well, thank you, my brother. Thank you. No. Very kind of you to say. A lot of compliments have been pouring in uh, because you're getting right into the heart of a lot of subjects that people are interested in. So now you, you didn't dispute what I just said. So you are admitting that you're a brother? Because you are. Don't, don't ever accuse me of being your brother. That's an accusation. That's not a statement because I am not your brother. You're a brother. But you have done an amazing job in the Thank absence you. of people who don't want to work here. Oh, God. Uh, Lydia Serrani <laughs> has done an amazing job. She has. In she absence really has. of people who don't want to work here. I, I don't know about that part. But and she really Anthony has. Weiner has done an amazingly great he, job. He really has. He really has. So has. I, I, I'm looking at this calendar, right? Mm-hmm. 12 midnight. Right. Holiday is over, right? Yes. It's a working day for people. Uh, not really. Well, what people is it not a working day? Uh, t- today is Monday. It's in effect the holiday. Really? Yes. In yeah. effect, it's the well. Well, maybe, for, maybe, for... maybe people here at WABC they want to come in on Tuesday and then go home on Thursday night, and you know, like in Australia, you come in on Tuesday, you go home on Thursday, you hook up the Barbie, you, you get Curtis. a nice. These are our colleagues. Yeah, I know. And they they better get their butts into the studio. So leave it alone. No, I'm not going to leave it alone. I love this thing too much. What is wrong with you, man? Somebody's got Somebody's got to call them out. I got the cred. Nobody's been here longer than me, 35 years in talk radio. I got the stripes. What the hell are you doing? Wine and cheese in Atlantic City. When is Frank coming back? His crew is supposed to be here today. Where's Matt Blaze? Where's the brown nose producer, Alex, right? Wait, 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 wait. Where's the runway guy, Ken? Wait, 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 Why has got to be brown? Well, because he's up to talk to Sir Frank Marano. You realize my complexion is brown. Yeah. And you're here. you got a family. I don't understand this. See, I'm trying to divert you off the topic, and no matter what I say, you are staying on on. Damn right, because I know what it takes to be number one. It's happened to me in 35 years. I know what it's like to be down in the basement. I know what it was like to be on the cusp of being destroyed as a radio station by our previous owners. And this thing of ours is not going to be here forever if people just take it for granted. Like, eh. 
Okay. I'll come in when I want to. Okay. Are there any issues you want to talk about? Yeah. The issue is work. I, I know what W-O-R-K. to do. W O R K. I know what to do. You know what these hipsters and millennials do? <laughs> Let me tell you the crew I had before. Oh, uh, I want to Netflix my life away. Let me binge watch. Let me uh, put up my social networking. Oh, you know what I had earlier today at Denny's? I had the Grand, <laughs> grand Slam, and I had strawberries on it, and they post that. Like, who cares? Hey, you want to hear something a little different? So I'm in, I'm, in Ro- I'm in Rhode Island, right? Yes. And I, I order uh, on the phone something to eat, right? And I don't know the difference between Denny's and uh, IHOP. And I'm like, I want the Grand Slam. Hold on a second. And they're like, sir. No, no, no. <laughs> Black people go to IHOP. Oh, here let's, we let's go. Let's define that. Here, here we on go. On a Sunday morning, here we go. the brothers and sisters are going around the block after church at IHOP. White Castles. No, not in the morning. Not in the morning. Actually, the morning. IHOP, I prefer IHOP over the Denny's. They do it better. They do breakfast better. The only place I've ever had actually a better uh, breakfast is in the jail in Forsyth <laughs> County in Georgia <laughs> where the CEOs gave me two servings. Oh, I mean, boy. they had the pancakes. Oh, oh, I mean, they had the eggs. Oh, and they boy. said, yo, you and Bull, Bull Wiggins was arrested uh, with me with the oh, GBI, boy. the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Would you like, uh, Mr. Sleewa, would you oh, like boy. another serving of breakfast? Oh, boy. Because uh, if you're not going to eat it, we are. But Waffle House takes them all. Waffle yes. House. Oh, yeah. No, not that it's better. It's cheaper. And, you, more, you, and more good grease. Oh, and everyone in Waffle House <laughs> does not have teeth. I finally got you up the a chef, topic. The waiter, the waitress, the customers, uh, and they all come out of three-eyed fornicating uh, trailer parks in order to make a living. And they give you endless watered-down coffee. Oh, man, Waffle House. Man, that's a dream come true. Love you, man. I mean, imagine you're out there. You're at a Motel 6 or My a Super brother. 8, and right next door is a Waffle House. That's the trifecta. My brother, I love you. No, you're not my brother, and I don't do that. (laughs) I don't exchange love with men. Later. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.